Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. What is our objective for living? You know, I mean, just look at the list of things that's on our list. And, 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 you know, what does it consist of? I mean, you got white men sailing around, I mean, in space right now as we talk. And, uh, yeah, hooking up all kinds of stuff, I mean, to, you know, to, Tapping the people's telephones and all that. You know what I mean? They're, they're always up to something on a grand scale. You know what I mean? I don't know nothing about, you know, being no astronaut and staying up in space, I mean, for three months. At home, boy, I mean, he's just standing there saying, you know, trying to slip some uh, extra can of Red Bull in his jacket. You know, that's his accomplished for the next two years, right? Uh, wow, wow. Mm. Now compare those two things. Here's some technicians floating around in space. Been there three months. All kinds of technical stuff around them. All kinds of stuff that they're doing spacewalks out there and whatnot. Hooking up all kinds of stuff, running the world. And just like I said, now pan that camera from that <laughs> back down to Earth. The Dragon has been well-trained 19 hours after the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket blasted off from the Kennedy Space Center. Its Dragon capsule docked smoothly and automatically with the International Space Station. Dragon SpaceX docking sequence is complete. Dragon arriving. Crew of Expedition 63 is honored to welcome uh, Dragon and the commercial crew program to uh, welcome aboard the International Space Station. Bob and Doug, glad to have you as part of the crew. Well done. Bravo Zulu. The first mission in nine years to send astronauts into orbit from U.S. soil had successfully delivered its two-man crew. Notably, the rocket was built by Elon Musk's SpaceX and not NASA itself. Steve Swanson has flown two space shuttle flights and one Soyuz flight all to the International Space Station, of which he was a commander. He's delighted to see American astronauts back in space. It's hard to be a leader in space when you don't have a crewed vehicle to take you up to space. So that's a really good thing to have back again. I'm very happy with that. And I think it is actually a plus to have a commercial 
entity working along with NASA. I mean, I'll have to admit, I was at NASA for many years, and NASA is a large bureaucratic organization, and it has some great people and does some great things, but it is also very slow and doesn't move quickly. And so having a young company come in that has energy and can get things done very quickly, and that combination to me is a great working relationship, and that's how come we got this all done. Our science correspondent, Jonathan Amos, says the International Space Station seems almost like a throwback to the days of closer international collaboration. The space station is remarkable in many respects. I mean, you you look down at planet Earth and you think, my goodness, it's a mess down there occasionally, you know. But up there, they do seem to be able to pull things together. You've got the Russians working hand in hand with the Americans and, and then you have the other partners in there too. So, you know, Europe, Japan and Canada all throwing in their best knowledge, their hardware, trying to make this uh, this laboratory in the sky work. But of course, they need means to get up and down to the space station. And for the last nine years, we've been relying on the Russians totally with their Soyuz rockets and capsules. Well, now we have an alternative with the, the SpaceX system that was uh, brought forward by Elon Musk, the tech billionaire. But there are others coming too. So we'll have a a multitude of of capsules and rockets very shortly. Now, these two American astronauts have arrived. What will they be doing with the other astronauts? Well, they have to muck in, basically. Yes, they've, they're have they doing this sort of test of this new capsule, putting it through its paces, checking uh, it's all A-OK and reporting back to the engineers at SpaceX. But in the meantime, they join the existing crew on the station, so they have to do all of the maintenance and science tasks that any crew on the space station does. It was quite funny, actually. Chris Cassidy, who is the current commander of the space station, said, you've, you know, you've arrived on the Sunday, and that means you've missed the Saturday. And, of course, Saturday today on the space station is cleaning day. Uh, Everybody gets out their uh, the equivalent of their feather dusters and their cloths and they clean the space station down from top to bottom. Well, they missed that. And Chris Cassidy said, don't worry, we'll have plenty of cleaning for you next weekend. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Amos. A terrible thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. A new executive order from President Trump will let federal agencies bypass some major environmental laws. The goal is to fast-track big new infrastructure projects and boost the economy, which has been hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic. NPR's Jeff Brady joins us now. Hello, Jeff. Hello. What does this executive order do? Well, it directs federal agencies to expedite construction of transportation and energy infrastructure. We're talking about things like highways, oil and gas pipelines, and and coal export terminals. Usually, those are when those are proposed, there are these long approval processes under the National Environmental Policy Act. It gives people a chance to see how the project might affect them and weigh in with opinions on what decision the government should make. And if a project somehow affects an endangered animal or plant, the Endangered Species Act might also be involved. With this order, the president says the economic crisis the country is experiencing is an emergency, and he thinks federal agencies should be allowed to bypass some of those requirements. And is this something that other presidents have done? It is, and I've seen records showing every president back to Ronald Reagan using this emergency authority, but only in limited circumstances. Say, like if there's a wildfire or a hurricane or something that needs to be, or something needs to be built very quickly. Uh, one example is back in 2014. This is during the Obama administration. The National Park Service got an emergency exception to build an evacuation route at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Uh, they expected the existing route was going to be covered 
covered by lava within 45 days. So they said they they had to they, they still though had to involve the public in the process. There was it was an emergency, but then after it was all over, they had to go through the full NEPA process. And the concern here is that President Trump has been a critic of these environmental laws all along, and many worry he's just using this emergency to weaken those laws without Congress changing them. Uh, already there's a proposal to speed up the National Environmental Policy Act reviews, and there have been dozens of proposals during this administration to roll back environmental regulations. There was just another today, actually, to change cost-benefit analysis under the Clean Air Act. And what's been the response of environmental and industry groups to this executive order? Yeah, you know, the criticism from environmental groups, it came in quick this afternoon. Uh, Gina McCarthy, she's a former EPA administrator. She now heads the Natural Resources Defense Council. And she said, instead of trying to ease the pain of a nation in crisis, President Trump is focused on easing the pain of polluters. And Arizona Representative Raul Grijalva, uh, he chairs the Natural Resources Committee. And the, he said that the nat National Environmental Policy Act is its one of the few tools that communities of color have to protect themselves and make sure their voices are heard on federal decisions. And he says the president is compromising that here. There have been a very different reaction from industries. Uh, Rich Nolis, Nolan, the president and CEO of the National Mining Association, said this order will help jumpstart the economy and encourage companies to use American-made materials. He mentions things like copper for wiring and coal for making steel, uh, zinc for galvanizing metal. He says that this might reverse a trend of relying on imported materials. And Jeff, how soon could some of these transportation or energy projects begin? Well, uh, we have the executive order, and uh, things are probably going to start happening. Uh, but there is probably going to be a legal challenge here because environmentalists think this is not lawful. That's NPR's Jeff Brady. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Insomniac, bad dreams got me losing sleep. I'm dead tired, my mind playing tricks. Resist, protest, buy from black businesses, educate yourself and your kids on racism, donate to organizations, be an ally. All good advice, but what if I told you, nap? Yeah, lie down, close your eyes, go to sleep. For the past four years, Trisha Hersey has led the NAP Ministry. It's an Atlanta-based organization that advocates for rest as a form of resistance. Trisha Hersey, who calls herself the NAP Bishop, joins us now. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. Great to have you with us. Thank this you. particular This particular moment and many others before it have been about doing a lot, mobilizing, yeah. right? Getting out, demonstrating, posting on social media to raise awareness. But how important is rest right now? Yeah, I love all those things and have done all those things. But right now, rest is critical because it's a count, it's counterintuitive and counter narrative to see slowing down, napping, and rest as a key to our movement for Black liberation. Um, but it really is so important because um, rest disrupts and pushes back and allows space for healing, for invention, for us to be more human. It, it'll allow us to imagine this new world that we want, this new world that's liberated that's full of justice, that's um, a foundation for us to really truly live our lives. You've been leading your organization, the NAP Ministry, for a few years now. What mm -hmm. inspired the idea? Yeah, I was inspired by the idea when I was in divinity school, and I was dealing with all of the um, 
Black Lives Matter was actually just heating up at the moment. It was like 2013, and a lot of the um, lynchings were um, back-to-back on online and being shared. And I was um, a graduate student in a predominantly white institution. Black Lives Matter was heating up, and I was just really um, exhausted from living as a black woman in America. You know, poverty and crime, I was robbed. Um, once when I was in school and just all of the things around me were coming on me at once and I just decided to rest. I decided to take naps wherever I could and and started to combine my my um research. I was researching black liberation theology, somatics, cultural trauma. I was doing a lot of research around slavery and historic um looking at the historic um documents around the commodification of black people in America. And I'm wondering, how do people respond to your message of rest, especially the African-American community that you hope will embrace it? Yeah, I mean, it was um, people when I would first tell them there's this I'm doing the nap ministry. It's it's rest as resistance, as reparations. You can lay down. You've done enough. This is a connection to our ancestors. This is a pushback against capital. A lot of people would start crying. People would look at me with like a tilted head and be like, wow, I've never thought of that. But, yes, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I would love to lay down. We, you know, this is a racial and social justice issue. You know, um, sleep deprivation is um, a justice issue because it's been traced from all the way back during slavery. Slavery was um, horrific, and the times during those times for black people, we were human machines. And so grind culture continues today to try and attempt to make us all human machines and not to see the divinity of who we really are. And so rest is disrupting that um, history. It's undoing part of that history, and it's allowing us to connect to our deepest selves. And in less than a minute that we have left, what do you say to people about how to make that happen in their lives, especially if they feel Mm -hmm. like they can't rest right now? Yes. You know, I love to reimagine um, rest outside of a capitalist and um, colonized system. So I love to think of resting as something that's subversive and inventive, closing your eyes for 10 minutes, taking a longer time in the shower, daydreaming, meditating, um, praying. So we, we can we can find rest wherever we are, because wherever our bodies are, we can find liberation, because our mm-hmm. body is a site of liberation. So it's in, the time to rest is now. We can always I mean, do it, and I want to... I yeah, got to stop you right ahead. there. That's of Trisha course. Hersey. I'm sorry. That's Trisha Hersey. She's the Nat Bishop from the Nat Ministry. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Bye bye. If you're going to dominate people over a long period of time and do it in a scientific manner, one of the easiest ways to do it, if not the easiest way, is to keep the people confused. A powerful image of the protests here in Washington circulated on social media Sunday night. A completely fake image, completely made up. An image showing a fire going halfway up the Washington Monument. Not reality, just a screen grab from a TV show. It was part of a sophisticated disinformation campaign that was launched as the United States is in the midst of a public health and economic and political crisis. NPR's Miles Parks covers election security and disinformation. Miles, good morning. Hi, Steve. Why would somebody spread that particular image? 
So the main storyline, it all kind of goes into this kind of conspiracy theory that somebody, we're not sure who, was trying to spread. And this, the story basically goes like this. They were trying to push this narrative that at some point Sunday evening, the government managed to shut down all communication and Internet services in Washington, D.C. So that way uh, protesters wouldn't be able to post things on social media and police would be able to use more force. Now, we know this is not true. And come Monday morning, a bunch of reporters wake up to tens of thousands of tweets about about this specific storyline and they start posting you know things that say no this didn't happen i was there Uh, i was able to tweet an email without any issue but the dc blackout hashtag that went along with this had already taken off and it's been mentioned more than a million times on twitter already okay so lots of people get that message it's not clear that everybody gets the debunking of it was that the end of the disinformation campaign it wasn't. And that's where this campaign gets really sophisticated. Once it starts being debunked by all these reporters, a network of hacked accounts and other bots, other automated accounts, jump in to say, uh, basically give a PSA that says, oh, that's fake. That's misinformation. Don't listen to it, which then prompts this third round of sort of reverse psychology effect on some people feeling like, oh, if the bots are saying it's fake, then they want me to believe that. And maybe this is actually real. So then you get, mm. a, a, you know, another flood of posting about the fact that there's automated accounts debunking it, if that makes sense. Any idea who orchestrated all of this? It's not exactly clear at this point. It was definitely a well-funded and well-organized effort is what experts told me. It's not just somebody sitting in their basement on a whim deciding to do something like this. Uh, I talked to Darren Linville, who's a professor at Clemson who studies disinformation campaigns on social media. He didn't want to assign blame, but he was willing to at least say it fits the Russian game plan of throwing out multiple conflicting narratives. That is a classic Russian move. I mean, that That's sort of creating a double negative to make one question everything one believes there is no truth is what they do best. Now, he was really clear that this does not mean it definitely is the Russians, but just that their playbook is out there for anyone who has enough resources and wants to sow this sort of chaos on social media. Is there something about the chaos on the streets or the protests on the streets that make people particularly vulnerable to this kind of disinformation? Yeah, there is. That's what Linville said. I asked him the, this, that, that exact same question. Here's what he told me. There has been a spike in social media use in general. And you combine that with something that is so emotional that people are going to have visceral reactions to and they're going to be more primed to believe whatever it is you're going to plant in their mind. And then you add in the fact that this protest movement is sort of based on the very idea that many official sources of information are not necessarily to be trusted. And it all kind of feeds into this environment that bad actors can take advantage of online. Miles, thanks. Thank you, Steve. True information from NPR's Miles Park. Listen. Just touching on some real issues right here tonight. That's, That's, all. Right. That's all. That's all. I want y'all to observe the excellence here. BX providing the Sonics, my man Minnesota. I'm letting the beat ride out because it's a part that I like when it come up. You know what I'm saying? I take this time to say what's up to my family. <laughs> you hear that? You know what I'm saying? For sure. Just observe the excellence of that. That's many. Hey, back. Fall back. Uh-uh. With the guitars. It's hip-hop music. It's good enough to speak for itself. And you got to do right by it. Minnesota. All four fired Minneapolis police officers involved in the death of George Floyd now face charges. Noel King focuses on one. 
George Floyd could have been killed the way he was killed in just about any city in America. A black man, a white cop. But there's someone else on that damning video, an Asian police officer who's also at the scene. He is how you know this isn't any city. It's Minneapolis. Officer Tu Tao is Hmong American. The Hmong are an ethnic group from parts of Laos, Vietnam, and China. They settled in this area in large numbers in the 1970s. A handful of Hmong Americans talked to us this week. He's the amazing chef. First in Mark Hugh Bakery in Frogtown. That's a neighborhood that's the heart of the Twin Cities Hmong enclave. Is that an eclair tower? Yeah, I'm kind of... It's beautiful. The bakery is owned by Mark Hugh and his wife, Gao Sung Hugh. I'm the St. Paul girl that convinced him to stay in Minnesota, so that's me. (laughs) She seems made entirely of energy and emotion. Personally, I feel angry and sad. She didn't realize it right away. I didn't know that he was Hmong until I saw his name. Tutau is a very Hmong name. But once she realized, she couldn't shake how he just stood there. When you see that look, that that complacentness, I just, you can't ever forget it. There is history between the black and Asian communities here. Hmong Americans came to Minneapolis as refugees after the Vietnam War. These Asian people are coming into your your neighborhoods and they're, they're all living in the public housing, like your same public housing, and there's not enough food, there's not enough resources, they're taking up space, you know, like they don't understand the culture, the customs. Set that dynamic on a low boil for 40 years, and you get the community she grew up in, a place with quiet and unquiet tension. You know, the competition that we feel and the racism that we feel from this community and for this community is very, like, carefully orchestrated. You know, that this is like hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression and racism that has been taught to both Asian people and also African-American people to have these kinds of sentiments towards one another. But now there's this video, this murder, right out in the open, a situation where you'd think everyone would agree. And to some extent they do. They agree that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. But do they agree that Officer Tu Tao was complicit in the death of another man of color. They don't. And that really upsets her. I am ashamed and embarrassed about the reaction of my community and and almost a defense of him in this case. Why defend him? Outside, on the main drag, Hmong-owned and Black-owned businesses sit side by side. Almost all of them boarded up now. This is a Cambodian restaurant. Bo Tao Urabe met me there. She's the head of the Coalition for Asian American Leaders in Minnesota. She's a Hmong American refugee who came to the U.S. with her parents back in the 1980s. I asked her, why are some people defending Officer Tao? What is the argument that they're making? I think what they're feeling is uh, that in a s- racist systems, they have also, too, experienced racism. Right. And I think that in America, when we lump Asian Americans together, there is an assumed universal success. Right. And so people have this preconceived notion that if you are Asian American, you must be educated. You must uh, make a lot of money. And that is not the experience of this community. Right. So is the concern then the people saying we've got to stand up for him is the concern I'll put it bluntly, white police officers in America often get away with things. We know that baseline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
it sounds like what you're saying is there may be an assumption that Asian Americans also get away with things baseline. Right. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. in the Hmong community here know that's not true. That's not true. So yeah. people who are coming to the officer's defense mm-hmm. may be coming to his defense because what they are saying among themselves is he's not a white guy. Don't treat him like a white guy. Reserve judgment? Reserve judgment, but also because they've experienced racism before, they feel like um, people haven't seen that, right? Or have sort of dismissed that so that we should be maybe more lenient about Officer Tao and putting him in the same category as white people. This is something that she and Gao sung are hearing behind closed doors. No one said it to us, possibly because it's the kind of thing that no one really wants to say out loud. There are many, many religions throughout the planet. Now, of all the religions, what is the strongest one? And that's what I came up with. So I decided to put it in capital letters, the religion of white supremacy. The president's pose for the cameras outside a church here in Washington did not please the bishop who oversees it. Police used tear gas last evening on peaceful protesters outside the White House. They did that to clear the way for the president's photo opportunity. Afterward, Bishop Marianne Edgar Buddy, who is the leader of the Episcopal Diocese of Washington, denounced using the Episcopal Church as a backdrop. And Bishop Buddy is on the line. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning. What's wrong with what the president did? Well, just listening to your summary, I think, expresses the the dissonance and the tremendous disconnect between what churches um, are and what our sacred texts represent and the president's actions. He he used violent means to to be escorted across the park into the courtyard of the church. He held up his Bible uh, after speaking a inflammatory, a militarized approach to the wounds of our nation. Um, he did not pray. He did not offer a word of bomb or condolence to those who were grieving. He did not seek to unify the country, but rather he used our symbols and our sacred space as a way to reinforce a message that is antithetical to everything that the uh, the person of Jesus whom we follow and the gospel texts that we strive to emulate our lives. Uh, it's, pretty, uh, it, 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 it's pretty clear, though, why he chose or, or his staff helped him to choose that particular church to stand in front of. Your church appears to have been targeted during the protests in the last few days. Someone set a fire, uh, not a lot of damage, but one of the rooms was set on fire in your church complex there. And the president says, I'm the president of law and order. I'm going to protect people. And he goes and stands in front of the church. Did you not see that as an attempted message of support? Uh If it was an attempted message, it did not communicate support at all. It communicated misuse. Um, Look, I... um I wasn't happy about the fire. Um, the violence um, on our streets right now is heartbreaking to me. I want to keep our focus on the precipitating causes of the events of this week and to, to, to concentrate my outrage at the wrongful death of George Floyd and the string of African-Americans who have preceded him in this long history of abuse and violence. I want to acknowledge the loss of property but in no way equate it with the loss of life. 
I want to I want to be a church that stands in solidarity with those who are making peaceful protest. And I am grateful to the first responders who helped put out the fire in the church. And I'd like to move on and focus on the primary issues that are tearing this country apart. And, and I want to ask didn't, the president did nothing to address any of those uh, deeper systemic concerns. And that and is my that is my objection. I want to ask a little more about George Floyd. But first, you mentioned the Bible the president held up. I believe reporters shouted at him, is that your Bible? He said it is a Bible, held up the Bible for the cameras. Why does it trouble you that a politician would hold up the Bible and use it in just that way? If you were reading his Bible, if you were quoting from the Bible, one of the more inspirational passages that call us to love God and love neighbor and to seek justice, that would have been a perfectly appropriate use of our text. The Bible is meant to be studied and to be applied to life reverently and, and in, a, in a spirit of spiritual humility. But he, he seemed to use the Bible as an extension of his previous message in the Rose Garden. He, um, the, it preceded, I mean, what preceded it is, is also contextually significant. He, he, with use of force, cleared the area so that he could mark, walk across and hold that Bible up. It almost looked like a, um, a symbol of American military power. And I, that's a misuse of what the Bible represents. So that is deeply offensive to anyone who adheres to sacred scripture. Well, let me ask you, as someone who has opened that book and spent a little time uh, studying it, (laughs) what does your faith have to say, not to the president, but to the specific incident here, the death of George Floyd in police custody in Minneapolis, the wave of protests that have swept across the country, the violence that has taken place in Washington and other places, and specifically the people who have been standing outside your church day after day. What, what does your faith have to say to this, this moment? The, our faith has many things to say uh, because it, it speaks to every dimension of the human experience. And so our, our texts would offer words of consolation to those who are grieving. Our text would offer um, words of encouragement for those who are striving for justice. Jesus himself spoke of bringing the kingdom of God, the reign of God, God's shalom and universal love into the human experience. Uh, the, The Bible speaks of God's demand for us to walk humbly and to do justice and to love neighbor. And so all of those things are found in our texts. And those are the texts that I would point us to as a way of saying that God stands with those who are suffering. God walks with those who feel they are oppressed. And God also has um, harsh things to say to those of us with privilege and power who use that power to uh, be instruments of oppression for for others. And so, yes, for those in any kind of authority, we we hear ourselves um, held in check by a higher authority. In a few seconds, uh, have you literally or metaphorically, do you, do you stand with the protesters? Absolutely. With peaceful, nonviolent protest seeking justice in our land. Bishop Buddy, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bishop Marianne Edgar Buddy leads the Episcopal Diocese of Washington. And all around the world.
In the days following the death of the African-American George Floyd in police custody in Minneapolis, people around the world have been marching in solidarity with campaigners calling for justice for him and other black men and women. There were plans for a protest in Sydney in Australia, but the authorities applied for an emergency court order to ban it because of the coronavirus. Today, New South Wales Supreme Court Judge Justice Fagan ruled that the march can't go ahead. For the court to authorise a gathering in these circumstances would amount to a defiance of a judgment that has been made by ministers in the government and the public health officials who advise them in the interests of the safety of all. Our correspondent in Sydney, Shaima Khalil, told me the reasoning behind that decision. The judge who was presiding over this, Justice Desmond Fagan, basically said that it would be a public safety risk allowing the protest to go ahead. He described it as defiance of decisions made by the authorities based on expert health advised. He did acknowledge the right of Indigenous uh, activists and families to protest. He acknowledged the importance of the Black Lives Matters rallies, especially in drawing attention to the treatment of Indigenous Australians. But he did make the point that many other Australians had had to sacrifice rights during the pandemic, including attending places of worship, uh, forfeiting their livelihood. Some people have lost their jobs. And when you stack this against the current circumstances, he came to the decision that this rally should be banned. I must say that organizers, even as the court was deliberating, and even before that, they had made it very clear to us when we were outside the Supreme Court that they would attend protests regardless of the legal decision. And that's going to be a difficult one for the authorities, isn't it? It's a really, really difficult balance and a dilemma for not only the politicians, the ministers and the premiers, but also the police force as well. Because, you know, in the past few weeks, Australia has been the definition of a success story. They've had a really good-looking curve, if you will, in controlling the spread of the virus. And that has encouraged them to open up the economy very, very gradually with the control over the numbers of people that are gathered at any given place to consolidate the achievements that they've made. And now they're faced with the one thing they do not want to happen. Thousands and thousands of people all congregating on the same place, all wanting to be there at the same time. Not just in New South Wales, in Melbourne as well, in Victoria. Both those demonstrations now at risk being fined. We've just had the ban here in New South Wales. It's worth saying, though, Valerie, that in other states in Australia, in other cities, in, in Queensland, for example, and in South Australia, protesters had been given exemptions uh, to rally in those protests because they haven't had any cases for quite some time now. And this issue, Shima, of racial discrimination in policing, that's very pertinent in Australia, isn't it? This isn't just about solidarity with what's been going on in the US. No, this really hits close to home for many Aboriginal families who've lost loved ones in police custody. When, when I was outside court, I spoke to Elitona Dungay, David Dungay's mother. He's a young man who died in police custody in almost similar circumstances to George Floyd, saying exactly the same last words, I can't breathe. And she was very emotional when she spoke to me, saying, I do know how they feel. I know exactly how they feel. And that's why uh, we want to protest. But also, I think it's because this issue hasn't gotten the attention uh, that it deserved, according to those families. It hasn't been part of the national conversation. And they're using the momentum and the impetus of what's happening in the United States to highlight those issues here in Australia. Shaima Khalil. 
And the guy who I work with, a white guy, said, man, I mean, he was just bold, flat out with it. He said, we were just wishing to come across that bridge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> said, man, we had pickup trucks full of ammunition and whatnot like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> he told the guy, the white guy just told you this? Yeah, the white guy told me that. That guy was all up in the trees, man, with binoculars and whatnot. <laughs> Good God, this man. They were just wishing, you know, they got real wild and think they're going to leave the ghetto and come over there across that bridge in, into Arlington County. You know, there would have been a slaughter. It never got halfway across that bridge. Hmm. I mean, every guy that had a rifle, man, I never got a chance to try my new rifle with us. Man, I got a scope and everything. Mm. Wow. I can hear a fly at 400 yards. Since these protests began, Louisville, Kentucky, has been in the national spotlight. It's where police killed an EMT named Brianna Taylor while she was asleep in her home back in March. Now there's another reason people in Louisville are demonstrating. Just after midnight, Sunday night, police and National Guard troops went to break up a gathering after curfew. Far from the protests, they shot and killed a chef named David McAtee, who was a fixture in the community. Our co-host, Ari Shapiro, is reporting from Louisville this week, and he begins his story at the intersection where McAtee died. There's an American flag, bouquets of flowers, red and blue ribbons, and a sign saying zero days since an innocent black person was murdered here on the corner of 26th and Broadway. This is where David McAtee ran his barbecue joint called Yaya's. He would feed anybody in the community whether or not they could afford to pay for it. For everybody, even the people that killed him. For free. Marvin McAtee is David's 28-year-old nephew. He calls him Unc. Where to start, where to start. Um, Unc, first and foremost, businessman. Business first. Big on family, family family-oriented. He's the one that, he's basically a grandma, but he's a male. Sticks the family together, you know. Marvin says he hasn't slept since the shooting early Monday morning. A bunch of David's relatives are gathered under a tent on the blacktop just outside Yaya's. This is where David lived and worked. Friends and family members would come by every day. Marvin says he would help clean up. There's a smell of barbecue smoke in the air. They are cooking in his memory. He's going to calm and defuse any type of situation. Like, even the police, like, they have no no type of problems with this man. Like, for years, they come and eat with this man. Some people only cook for a paycheck. For David McAtee, cooking was as much about taking care of people, says Brandon Smallwood. They worked together at a Volunteers of America shelter and halfway house where McAtee was head cook. All the the shelter residents that were there, they were like his family. He loved to feed everybody. He loved to make people happy. He was just like a joyful person. The shelter's in a neighborhood called Smoketown. Smallwood says there's a lot of strife there, and there was one incident he'll never forget. Somebody got shot in the neighborhood one day, like about a block from us, and... He selflessly ran out there to comfort the guy while he bled out on the street. There are a lot of questions about what happened in the minutes leading up to McAtee's death. Police say they returned fire after someone shot at them. At a press conference on Monday, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher revealed that none of the officers had turned on their body cameras. As I learned about some of the details of what happened last night, I learned that the body cameras of the officers present 
were not activated. This type of institutional failure will not be tolerated. So he fired police chief Steve Conrad, who was already set to retire in a month and will still receive his full pension. Then yesterday, police released two security camera videos, and it's tough to tell what's going on in them. You see lots of people crowding into the small barbecue shack as police advance. It's very chaotic. Police say McAtee leaned out the door and fired a gun, but the footage isn't clear. Yesterday, Assistant Chief of Police Levita Chavis said this at a press conference. I'm just going to say that we still have a lot of questions, and this video may raise more questions than it answers. The Louisville police declined our interview request. Marvin McAtee wasn't there when his uncle was shot. He told us he's watched the videos hundreds of times, and he doesn't buy the police story. And whatever happened, he says his uncle didn't deserve to die. He wants to know why the National Guard showed up heavily armed at that corner on 26th and Broadway, far from where protests were happening. Like, ask me this question. Why are National Guards even in the West End? The protests are not going on in the West End. They're downtown. And then y'all are strapped with lethal rounds. What happened to the the pellets? The tear gas. They had all these. They had lethal rounds. Right here. A vacant parking lot. Adding to the grief, David McAtee's body wasn't removed for more than 12 hours while police investigated. People stood in the street, shouting, begging, praying to treat the man with some respect. God, I pray that you would comfort this, this mother and these family members. State Representative Attica Scott is the only African-American woman in the Kentucky State Legislature, and she represents this part of Louisville. This is my district. Where Mr. McAtee was murdered is my district. 26 and Broadway. I can walk here from my house. People hang out at that spot all the time, all night, having a good time, having a good time. She says when Kentucky's governor called in the National Guard to manage the Louisville protests, it was inevitable that something like this would happen. It makes me angry that police violence is being met with more police violence. Mr. McAtee had never been an issue for anyone. He was loved by his community. And then suddenly, We get the National Guard and the state police, and he's dead. So we can use a video to make excuses all we want to, but someone who is loved by their community is still dead. Still. And we cannot turn our eyes away from the fact that that occurred because of this escalation from law enforcement against our community. The governor has ordered a federal investigation into David McAtee's death. His family says they'll keep Yaya's barbecue going as a way of remembering the man who always fed this Louisville neighborhood. That's Ari Shapiro, our co-host, reporting this week from Louisville, Kentucky. When I heard black people, the first time I heard a black people say that in relation to what happened with uh, Mr. Davis, I remembered when they kept reporting the record numbers of ammunition sales when President Obama became president. Mm-hmm. I, man, those white exactly what they you said. They are stocked up. They are stocked up. They are ready. And I mean, that is something that they love. It's mass shootings. They love that type of scenario. The district attorney in Omaha, Nebraska, says a grand jury will take a second look at his work. The DA declined to press charges in the shooting of James Skurlock. A bar owner killed him in what he said was self-defense during a scuffle on Saturday during protests against police violence. NPR's Kirk Sigler reports. 
the DA had earlier ruled the shooting here as self-defense. In historically segregated North Omaha, indignation is turning to some hope now that it appears there will be a broader investigation into the death of James Skurlock. This neighborhood is the birthplace of Malcolm X. Not far from his memorial center and museum is the Culture House, a space for artists and activists. Now it's transformed into a staging area for the demonstrations. Well, I need you to be careful. Cases of bottled water and Gatorade are being unloaded, boxes of masks and rubber gloves on the floor. And Michelle Troxclair, a longtime local civil rights activist, has come by for a bit of a pep talk. We've been dancing this dance for 50 years. The shooting of James Skurlock is a reminder of what Omaha's African-American leaders say is a legacy of violence directed at the black community here, often they say by law enforcement. In 1969, Vivian Strong, a 14-year-old black girl, was shot without warning by police. It sparked three days of riots. These last six days of heated protests are a response to what Michelle Troxclair says is the country lurching backwards. The election of Donald Trump is a backlash and an outward assault on the perceived loss of power of white people in this country. And they are terrified and there's nothing scarier than scared white people. The white bar owner who was in a scuffle with James Skurlock said he shot him because he feared for his life. Eyewitnesses told NPR the atmosphere in front of the bar's smashed windows leading up to the incident was racially charged. Since then, there's been an overwhelming police presence in the streets. Cops in riot gear show up following peaceful protests during the day. You can't not look at the big red hemorrhage in community organizer Morgan Freeman's right eye. She got it after tear gas caused her to fall to the street. It looks worse than it is, but to be frank, I am looking forward to seeing and talking to um, our political leadership because I want them to literally look me in the eye and see what they did. African-Americans make up about 13% of Omaha's population, but people say this neighborhood has long been victim to over-policing. Freeman ran for Congress last year, the first black woman to do so in Nebraska. She says the November elections are still the best place for change, but there's a lot of anger on the streets right now. Whether they um, will admit it or not, they have declared martial law on black lives and anyone that is standing in support of them. Wow. They said that? (laughs) Okay. Um, Ben Gray is the only black member on Omaha's city council. In his view, the relationship between police and communities of color has actually gotten a lot better in the past few years. And I'm not saying that we have a perfect police department. Let me say that. Uh, I know we have some officers that probably should not be on the force. But by and large, the leadership at the top reflects what happens at the bottom. Gray says the police chief has brought reforms. There's also now a weekly meeting where a racially diverse mix of cops, business owners, and residents of North Omaha get together to talk. And Gray led the pressure to appoint a special prosecutor in the James Skurlock shooting. After initially resisting, the DA now welcomes independent review of his decision that it was self-defense, citing broad public mistrust in the justice system. That's definitely clear in North Omaha, where I met Yashika Sanders in leafy Benson Park. And they tired of being silent. Like, people are really no, to stand up. She was getting ready for a walk with her cousin, Terrell Vaughn. You know, this nation need to be, it needs some healing. It need uh, a good leader that can at least empathize and sympathize and, you know, 
talk to the people. City leaders, anyway, pledged to keep doing that going forward. A grand jury investigation into the death of James Scurlock likely won't happen for weeks due to delays from the coronavirus pandemic. Kirk Sigler, NPR News, Omaha. And then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats. I talk about the threats that were out. Uh, what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? The Maryland National Capital Park Police are asking for help. They're saying they're looking for a cyclist who was caught on video assaulting a group of people, including children, who were putting up Black Lives Matter flyers. Take a look at this. Hey, for me, hey leave her alone. Do not touch her. Do not touch her. She has nothing. Do not touch her, sir. Leave her alone. Sarah, just walk away. Hey. On Monday, Park Police say the suspect's 50 to 60 years old, clearly a white guy, waddling around in his biking cleats, about six feet in height, short brown hair. The man recorded the video, says he's been back on the bike trail. He won't let this incident stop them. He's putting up more signs, and others have offered to help him. Jerk. The news continues. So I want to hand over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? What a world. What I mean, a world. They're going to find him, too. They're going to fly. Well, of him. course. I mean, how many, you know, the, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's not a big pool of people like him. They're going to find him. And then the interesting part will be who starts to explain this as something other than what it obviously is. Uh-huh. We'll stay on it. Anderson, the best to you, my brother. This question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times Article, I mean, editorial today. The Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in stage white supremacy. See, it's, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. A Boardman man said he never expected to be assaulted and called racial slurs just two days after moving into his apartment. Even with anything that's going on right now, that's like, you know, just something that shouldn't even have to happen. Wilson said there is a fence in between his apartment building and his neighbor. He said because he just moved in, however, he didn't know his neighbor's property line reached beyond the fence. Wilson said he was on this side of the fence walking his dog when his neighbor came out yelling at him to get off of his property and yelling racial slurs. That then led to Wilson being beaten with a bat. He just like starts spazzing on me, you know, calling me every word in the book, um, telling me to get my N-word dog and my N-word (laughs) A-word off of his lawn and his property. Wilson said after his neighbor began yelling at him, he took his dog inside and came out with a bag to clean up after the dog. That's when things got physical, he said. And as I'm cleaning up my dog's poop, then that's when he ran over and tried to, you know, get pretty much physical, tried to hit me with a bat, 
you know, actually did. He hit me in my leg, you know, over here in my face. Wilson's girlfriend tried to intervene to break it up, but ended up getting struck as well, according to the police report. She said she was grabbed by the neck and thrown up against a brick wall. All she was trying to do was break up the fight that was happening. And really, I wasn't even trying to fight the dude. Like I said, I was just trying to hold the bat from him, trying to restrain him. Wilson's girlfriend called police and Richard Vince Jr. was arrested and charged with felonious assault and assault. Wilson said even with the assault and the name calling, he just wanted Vince to get help and doesn't have any hatred toward him. Everybody has their bad days. I'm not going to hold something against him. Wilson and his girlfriend had been protesting for peace Sunday at the Sojourn to the Past rally held in Youngstown. He said he was disappointed that just a day later, he would be involved in a violent act brought on by racism. Wilson did say that Boardman police responded quickly and appropriately. If anything went right, I have to say that the Boardman police did take care of things the way that was supposed to be necessary. Reporting for WKBN 27 First News, Jennifer Rodriguez. This week, federal prosecutors announced the arrest of three men who are allegedly part of the extremist Boogaloo movement, a group that seeks to bring about a civil war in America. The criminal complaint claims they plan to bring Molotov cocktails to a Black Lives Matter protest following the death of George Floyd. Besides their ideology, one thing they had in common was that they were members of a Boogaloo group on Facebook. And Pierre's Tim Mack has more on how this extremist movement is proliferating on that platform. Attorney General William Barr cited this extremist movement Thursday as one that federal law enforcement is keeping an eye on. There are some groups that want to bring about a civil war, the Boogaloo group, that has been on the margin of this as well, trying to exacerbate the violence. The three men arrested in Nevada were accused of trying to instigate violence between police and protesters. There's a dynamic that's at work where they're trying to infiltrate the public anger over the killing of George Floyd and exploit it for their own advantage. That's Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt, whose organization has been tracking this extremist movement. Some people involved in the movement are white supremacists, but by no means all of them. Others involved with the movement, the majority, are anti-government and seek a conflict with the state with law enforcement and the ideological, what they perceive to be the ideological left. All three of those arrested by federal law enforcement were members of a Boogaloo Facebook group, according to a criminal complaint. NPR examined the Facebook profile of one of the suspects and found that he was a member of multiple Facebook groups relating to the Boogaloo movement. Joel Finkelstein is the director of the Network Contagion Research Institute, which tracks hateful ideology online. He says that Facebook has become a key place for members of the Boogaloo movement to organize, recruit, and discuss communication strategies through the use of private groups. In terms of a structure that allows these things to remain hidden, I think it goes without saying almost that Facebook is far and away one of the best kinds of platforms that you could have for that purpose. Finkelstein said that as he and his team researched these extremist groups, Facebook began to advertise to him. We were given targeted advertisements by the platform supporting the Boogaloo in the form of shirts containing Boogaloo memes, hats, military badges containing this kind of material. Facebook said through a spokesperson that it had removed the accounts of the three men arrested. The spokesperson said that in May, the company had updated its violence and incitement policy to prohibit content related to the term Boogaloo when accompanied by depictions of armed violence. 
It also said it was preventing these pages and groups from being recommended to others on Facebook. Critics argue that Facebook hasn't done enough to combat extremist content. Daniel Stevens heads the Tech Transparency Project, a group that seeks to hold large tech companies accountable. He said that in April, his organization released a report about how the Boogaloo movement organizes on Facebook. But Facebook didn't take serious actions, Stevens argues. Facebook didn't take down these Boogaloo groups. They're all still up and available on Facebook. Now, some of the groups have changed their names or have changed administrators or sort of they've done you know a few small things to try to evade detection. But essentially, they're all there and all these people are organizing on Facebook to this day. And despite Facebook's pledge to stop recommending these pages, Stevens said his team saw recommendations for Boogaloo groups on Facebook as recently as Thursday. Uh, I don't want us to lose sight that Things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But, you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends, and I see them interact, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. If we were still living within the school district, would seriously make me think about moving out of the school district. Those graduates of Liberty High School show disappointment with the way the district handled an inappropriate social media post by a student. 41 Action News reporter Mackenzie Nelson explains the troubling new challenge nationwide, all in the wake of George Floyd's death. People are outraged after seeing photos and videos circulating on social media mocking the death of George Floyd. Seeing these on social media is just super disrespectful, for one, and two, it's just... A lot of people just kind of miss the point of why people are protesting. In these posts, people are seen smiling and kneeling on the necks of their friends. The caption being used calls it the George Floyd challenge. It's just really sickening and it was really triggering. It seems like, I mean, it's triggering already as, you know, as parents of the black child to just be reminded over and over again this week that in 10 years or so, he might not be safe. Posts like these have been seen around the country and now in the metro. A spokesperson for the Liberty School District said a high school student was involved in creating an inappropriate and insensitive social media post. In a letter sent to families, Liberty High School principal April Adams said the issue is being handled by district administration. Yeah, I definitely think that they swept it under the rug in their response um, and the fact that they didn't address what exactly the posts were and obviously don't want to kind of re-trigger trauma within people, but at the same time, they should be more direct in their response as far as what happened, what's being done about it. In a statement, the superintendent of schools said an investigation will be conducted to determine if school policy was violated and appropriate disciplinary actions would be taken. Parents and graduates of Liberty High School say the district needs to be more transparent. Without giving specific step, action steps that they're going to be taking and just offering a vague explanation of what has been done, what occurred, and very minimal of that, that doesn't address the culture issue within the school district. Kevin and Rachel Roeder, both graduates of Liberty High, say if they still lived in the district, they would move from it. If their parents had been talking to them, if the school had been 
talking to them about why this sort of thing would never be acceptable. And, you know, I feel like it wouldn't have happened. In the letter the superintendent sent to families, he included links to resources to better help families talk about the injustices and racism in society today. I'm Mackenzie Nelson, 41 Action News. Um, also, I wanted to uh, speak on the ways in which there's a sexual vulnerability uh, that is happening simultaneously with these lynchings of these black males that uh, we've seen throughout the news reports you broadcasted. You played the, um, you know, you read enough the title of Dr. Tommy Curry's uh, The Man Knight. And on page 156 of The Man Knight, uh, in his chapter, Eschatological Dilemmas, he speaks about this. Um, but I think it's very significant in this point because there's a sexual vulnerability um, and a sexual fetishization of black male flesh that I think can be observed through both um, Christian Cooper and Gregory Floyd. Trinity County Sheriff's Office is taking action against a deputy who posted a meme on his personal Instagram account about George Floyd. KRCR News Channel 7's Megan Mackey is live in the newsroom with the story and reaction from Trinity County's Sheriff. Megan. Good evening, Mike. Well, today, Sheriff uh, Tim Saxon, the sheriff for Trinity County, says the deputy's been placed on administrative leave. Now, today, the sheriff apologized to the community and took full responsibility for the deputy's actions because he says he is the sheriff and it is his responsibility. Now, here is the meme. We've censored the bottom portion of this meme. It shows a deceased pornographic actor sitting on Floyd's head as he lies on the ground. The account that posted them lists deputy Brandon Woodhouse as the user behind the account. Sheriff Tim Saxon addressed the Trinity County Board of Supervisors today about the meme and apologized to them and the community for the deputy's actions. This is not the feeling that is representative of the men and women of the Trinity County Sheriff's Office. We are here to serve and protect all people, no matter what, because everybody matters. I do not condone the actions, condone the actions of this employee. But I do have to accept responsibility for his actions because I am the sheriff. Sheriff Tim Saxon also told KRCR in a statement, we are here to serve and protect all people, no matter what, because everyone matters. I ask the public to please not judge the rest of the sheriff's employees because of this incident. And the deputy, Brandon Woodhouse, has been placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of that internal investigation. We have the full statement from the sheriff up on our website at krcrtv.com. Reporting live, Megan Mackey, KRCR News Channel 7, The North State's News. Thank you so much, Megan. And there were tons of comments that flooded our KRCR Facebook page on the story. Some commenters, they expressed criticisms and others expressed shock. We will keep you up to date as we continue to bring you coverage on any new developments. Now, let me say something that gets to the very crux of the matter. And this may be offensive for some to hear who are not on the side that we're on. White people, we have been the problem for 400 years. Let me say it one more time for those of you who didn't hear me. White people, we have been the problem for 400 years! The United States enters this first weekend in June still reeling with outrage over the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. But there is also news of economic recovery, with more than two million jobs added back to the workforce last month. The president melded the two today and quickly drew criticism for it. 
Stephanie Sai begins our coverage. Hopefully, George is looking down right now and saying, there's a great thing that's happening for our country. There's a great day for him. It's a great day for everybody. President Trump invoked the memory of George Floyd this morning as he hailed the May jobs report, calling it the greatest thing that can happen for race relations, even though unemployment rates for minorities actually went up. In Delaware, a short time later, the presumptive Democratic nominee for president, former Vice President Joe Biden, condemned Mr. Trump's remarks. For the president to try to put any other words in the mouths of George Floyd, I frankly think is despicable. The president's appearance came in the Rose Garden at a White House now behind barricades. But he only briefly addressed the nationwide protests against police violence on black Americans. It'll all work out. Some governors may need a little help yet, but I think for the most part they're in good shape. We have uh, fantastic military. We have fantastic National Guard. National Guard was barely used. You have to dominate the streets. You can't let what's happening happen. But on one street near the White House, the protesters' cause now dominates. After a week defined by unrest and crackdowns from the police and National Guard, today a major street declared Black Lives Matter in bright yellow paint. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser officially renamed the block Black Lives Matter Plaza. What we have to say to the young black youth is that they matter, we care about them, and we hear them, and we're listening to them, and we're trying to make all of our systems, starting right here in Washington, D.C., more fair. But the local Black Lives Matter chapter called the action, quote, a performative distraction from real policy, and instead demanded tangible reforms. Last night, peaceful demonstrators weathered D.C. thunderstorms at the eight-foot fence now circling the perimeter of the People's House. It was one of many protests around the country free of violence. But in Buffalo, New York, another viral video of police violence. Local news cameras captured the moment an officer pushed 75-year-old Martin Gugino to the ground, leaving blood dripping from a head wound. The officers had claimed the man tripped. They have since been suspended. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said he was alarmed. It disturbs your basic sense of decency and humanity. Uh, why? Why? Why was that necessary? Where was the threat? Uh, older gentlemen, where was the threat? It was one of a growing number of incidents of police violence being reported including Tuesday in Los Angeles, where police smashed a black man's car windows and dragged him onto the ground. In New York City, last night, police were more restrained than the night before, but eventually they did arrest demonstrators for breaking the 8 o'clock curfew. Mayor Bill de Blasio defended the enforcement actions. Sometimes it's because there's a lot more there than meets the eye. And when you're after curfew, you have a threat of violence, you have evidence of violence being intended, and people have been asked to disperse. Uh, I want to remind you that uh, those are real conditions that have to be understood. Meanwhile, the National Football League is under increasing pressure. Four years after the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick started his own protest by taking a knee during the national anthem. He has not played in the league since. In Florida today, the Jacksonville Jaguars marched in solidarity. 
What if I was George Floyd? And more than a dozen NFL players released a Stronger Together video on social media. On behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. Those demands continue today and into this evening in cities across the country, from Kansas City. This is people against racism and injustice. To Dallas, where the police department organized a Blue for Black Lives Matter march. And in Minneapolis today, where police killed George Floyd. The city agreed to ban all police chokeholds and require any bystanding officers to intervene in violations. And California Governor Gavin Newsom also announced an end to pinning suspects by the neck. Support from unexpected corners and steps toward reform. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Stephanie Sy. Context of white supremacy. I was <clears throat> stymied. Did you hear that? They are going to put an end to the chokehold here in Seattle pinning them by the neck they say here in Seattle they said for the next month not the next day not the next five hours next month no more pepper spray you talk about being uppity in the streets of Seattle Woo! I'm going to be acting a fool for the next month no pepper spray we just about got this racism thing licked I mean I, I feel like a total idiot uh, saying that protesting does not solve problems. We have got the Confederate statues removed in Virginia. The Coon Man. I almost had him. It, I, there were about four or five different segments. The Coon Man, Governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. He stepped foot. I am with you. One of your white brothers who is not sick in the spirit of Michael Jackson, Curtis Blow. We're going to take down the statue of Robert E. Lee. Mm. I might even do a moonwalk woo, as we take it down. We had the coon man. We had Louisiana. They took down a Confederate statue. No pepper spray. No more pinning by the neck. We just about got this thing like <laughs> Man, what President Trump say? He said George Floyd is smiling down on all of us. Put a tacky end on a very tacky week of white supremacy racism. Gus T. Renegade in for the context of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, June 6, 2020. Get confused about the years. So similar. June 6, 2020. So I have been told our weekly compensatory call in. What a week. What a week. Mm-mm-mm. Man, the number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate in a week that was full of terrorism, that was full of tackiness, was full of so much but logic and correctness. I think 
the most clowning thing I saw this week, and there was a whole lot of clowning this week. Ooh, wait a minute, let me give you two. Let me give you two. <laughs> Let's start local. So Seattle, I didn't even see this. Cows listeners had to alert me to this because uh, I wasn't even out in the streets. Think something happened right? I could have walked to this. So in the middle of downtown Seattle. They love to protest. If you all uh, want to, uh, what is that film with Rosario Dawson, Andre 3000, Woody Harrelson, uh, Battle for Seattle. That's it. That's when Norm Stamper, our former guest, many times, that's when he was chief of the Seattle Police Department. If you want to film, if you still got time to prop your feet up and watch something, Battle for Seattle. They love to run around. That's about what it looked like down here uh, starting last Saturday or so, having white people run around in the streets. Uh But out here, they started running around last Saturday and sometime, I think, Monday or so. And I mean, in the middle of downtown Seattle, like when they show uh, images, video of of Seattle, normally they'll be downtown at Pike Place Market. That's where they do the fish throwing and you can see the water and all that. Get that really majestic view. Seattle is majestic. Uh, So that is like. First and Pike, where that market is, where they do the fish throwing. The Cheesecake Factory is at about 9th and Pike. I might be off, but I mean, it's right about there, about 9th and Pike. So it's pretty close. You could walk to it easily, about a 10-minute walk. They allowed white ruffians to loot the Cheesecake Factory. They didn't just loot the Cheesecake Factory. They have photographs of what to me looks like it could be a white woman with a Corona face mask on and she's coming out with a whole cheesecake, not even in a box. For George Floyd, I mean, take a slice of this down for Mr. Floyd. Reclaiming this here slice for Breonna Taylor. Reclaiming, that's what they say. We're not we're not looting, we're reclaiming this here cheesecake. The clowning was out of control this week, so that was one. Clowning bit number two uh from this week, and as I said, there was a lot of clowning. So I go to the New York Times, just checking out, seeing what's happening, right? Confederate statue here, the coon man is in the news again. Why and he's an anti racist crusader. Wow. I'm going through the news and I get about midway through. I bet it's still there. I'll, I might post it if you need a laugh. But they said black voters are coming for Trump. This wasn't like a cartoon. This wasn't satire. This wasn't an attempt to be like funny. This was like uh, serious journalism. Black voters are coming for Trump. I don't even know how you could get that on a page with a straight face and not have, we got to have some sort of funny cartoon, right? This is not a piece. This is going to be like some sort of, you know, satire. (laughs) We're going to have the, I don't know. We'll have them in the streets with Skittles, maybe a la Trayvon Martin. I don't know. That was in a week, a lot of clowning. I think that with the cheesecake was close though, reclaiming this here cheesecake. Wowie, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I don't even know where to begin. What a week. Let's see. Uh, I'll try to start. Maybe we can move forward constructively. It's been a tough one. 2020 has been abysmal for more reasons than we have time to share. 
Cows Counter Racist Yoga Retreat we are going to try for August 5th through the 9th. Deadline for the deposit, June 21. Taking a little extra time just to hopefully allow things to stabilize. They're still rioting in D.C. as we speak. We can go visit Black Lives Matter Plaza. Mm, mm, mm. I left that off the list of progress. We got those statues down. We got Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, D.C. No pepper spray in Seattle for a few weeks. Racism thing is almost done, guys and gals. Anyway, Cows Counter Racist Yoga Retreat. Eat well. Do some yoga. Go hang out at the plaza. Maybe go participate in the protest. They might still be protesting by then. Looking forward. Uh, get some hangout time. The rest component was so important when we were down in Florida. We had, uh, I remember at least one person specifically saying she was having a tough time resting. Uh, and I said, we can do some yin yoga, kind of calm things down. We did that in Virginia too, to kind of calm things down. Hopefully that'll help you sleep. She was so happy the next day. She said she rested so well and felt so much better. Like, psh, love it. I think when you can eat better, get away from some of that sugar and the caffeine and all that chemicals and nonsense, and then get some yoga in, move your body around a little bit, can have a constructive impact so that you can rest a little bit better. August 5th through the 9th, Washington, D.C., Cows Counter Racist Yoga Retreat. Drop an email if you need more details. Uh, the blog post will reflect the change uh, for the deadline to submit your deposit. Looking forward to making things happen. Hanging out might be the first time a few of us are getting out of the house to do something constructive uh, this year in a while. Right on. Counter Racist Yoga Retreat. Next. <clears throat> what a week. Uh, the space launch, I did think that that was important, uh, exactly the way that Mr. Fuller phrased it. Uh, with all of the things happening, we can kind of miss uh, and kind of lose sight. Very important, I think, to keep in mind, race soldiers, they go to the bottom of the ocean, furthest reaches of the galaxy. Gather information all about strengthening the system of white supremacy racism uh, but I did think that that was important among many things that were important this week man universe known universe known universe uh, let's see the component or the piece about rest uh, just mentioned that I was a little hesitant to play that uh, there were a lot of reports this week obviously on many many things so it was kind of one of those you know is this really that important and I was hesitant also because, you know, uh, Miss Harris, I believe, uh, the black female, uh, she, the affiliation with Christianity, I know a lot of people are not necessarily into that religion of white supremacy. I certainly can see the correlation. Uh, so I was a little hesitant, but rest is important. The system of white supremacy does a lot to disrupt healthful sleep for black people, non-white people in total. And I mean, lots of ways. We talked about noise pollution uh, earlier this week. Uh, you live in a noisy area. Dr. Francis Cress Wells, and you live in a noisy area where you can't think well, you can't rest well. Man, that can all kinds of disrupt your quality of life. Then now being stressed, they've had lots of reports where people have talked about 
particularly when all the lockdowns and things first started uh, with people that were not having to go to work or had their work schedules altered, uh, that it was messing up their sleep schedule because they, they every their just normal routine uh, was so discombobulated uh, and then being stressed about everything that you can imagine. Uh, they just had a lot of difficulty sleeping. Uh, that's been for lots of folks. So I did think it was important. Uh, if you are anxious and stressed, a lot of times that disrupts your sleep. I feel like I have struggled with sleep uh, my entire life. So, yeah, sleep is extremely important. And making time to sleep. That was another thing. Just, hey, self, that is a part of black self-care to make time to rest. A lot of times the race soldiers they will make sure that we don't have that time. They'll keep us on the plantation or do lots of other things so that we're occupied and we don't even have the ability to get down and get that quality rest. But even Dr. Kamal Kamban talked about it. In fact, he would be specific 10 o'clock, try to be in bed by 10 o'clock, be in bed when it's dark. You should be in bed. You need your rest to be healthy. Dr. Africa talked about that too. Let's see next so much to share uh, the segment where they were talking about the shooting of George Floyd non-white non-male officer present uh, number one if that had been a black male present because that has happened uh, at times and you know the system of racism white supremacy easily uses incorporates victims of white supremacy black victims non-black victims incorporates them into their system to to help carry out support various acts all the time. All of us directly, indirectly are supporting the system. Uh, You know, not all of us are wearing a badge, but I mean, in various ways, we are supporting white domination worldwide throughout the known universe. In fact, all of that said, when they got to the end of that segment, they talked about how, you know, it's not every individual so-called Asian is not well to do and at Harvard or Princeton, UC Berkeley and getting a great degree and making a lot of money. That is true. That is not, you know, everyone who is classified as Asian. However, I think, how is it said? Uh, yellow, mellow, brown stick around, white is right, black get back. I think that's how. I think that's how she used to say it. I think so. If that is the case, and I have concluded that it for sure is the system of white supremacy, we do have a hierarchy. So we have a non-white, non-black person who's just there hanging out as an enforcement officer, someone to protect and serve, and you just hang out and don't say anything? Hmm. Still a victim of racism, and they certainly could have turned around and choked him to death. Absolutely. And that has happened to non-white officers I can think of black officers specifically in fact we did a whole cows program uh, Dick Lair 2009 we've been here 11 years white people running around the street today we've been here 11 years Dick Lair 2009 his book The Fence just what I said black police officer they're going out to chase a suspect in Boston and either they get confused or just eh any nigger will do yes he's supposed to be our, our what is it brother in blue He's still a nigger. And they beat him down, beat him unconscious, in fact. And they terrorized him the whole time. He was just trying to heal and get justice. But that's, you know, a different program. System of racism, white supremacy. Uh, We all, you know, make choices. And 
you choose to be an enforcement officer. I mean, in a system where we're all victimized, but you choose to be an enforcement officer. You're supposed to do the correct thing. They have policy and procedure. And you see this fellow doing the incorrect thing. He's charged for a reason. But specifically, when they got to the end of that report and they said the sentiment that, hey, we are non-white. The Hmong community here in Minneapolis, we're not white. We're victims of racism. True. A thousand percent. We are mistreated and we think he should be supported. We don't think he should just be indicted because we're mistreated. We're victims of racism, too. And they said that they hadn't heard that view articulated because people didn't feel comfortable saying it out loud. Whoa. Why would that be? Shouldn't be a problem articulating truth. Who would you be afraid of? Are they going to come and loot your store? Is that what it's going to be? I thought they had the National Guard out and everything. What's the problem? The African Liberation Army going to come and burn your place down? Har, 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 har. What, I mean, afraid of what? Afraid of who? Who would you get in trouble with? And what? I don't know why you would feel ambivalent about speaking truthfully if that's, you know, what you think it is. Like, hey, we're victims of racism and he should be supported. He's escaped. Although I do think I heard some of that when it was a Kai Gurley not too long ago folks mentioned Thomas in New York and some of the other folks when the uh, so racism against Asians started with the Kung flu and all that said that uh, Akai Gurley, I don't really have anything else to say. I heard some of this back when it was a Kai Gurley. Yellow mellow Brown stick around white is right. Black get back. Anywho. The segment, so they had two different segments where they talked about black people who were killed during the protests. Uh, As I stated online, uh, I am not aware of any white people being killed during any of the protests. There have been a number of fatalities. All of the people who have been killed during the last few weeks now of protesting have been black. That's predictable pretty standard another reason why I generally say I haven't seen any constructive or haven't seen any evidence of a constructive logical result from so-called protesting uh, reclaiming cheesecakes rioting urban unrest whatever it wants to be labeled this is typically what I see more black people suffering going to jail being killed specifically uh, the report They were talking about David McAddy uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, where they were protesting Breonna Taylor, who was killed earlier this year before the Rona set in. And then George Lloyd as well. They said David McAddy was like a grandmother figure, but male. I said, wow. I had to pause that it was almost a rewind, but I said, I can just, you know, explain that later. Like, wow, he was a grandmother figure, but male. And I stopped to think about that. And I said, so that would be like a grandfather. Do people still have grandfathers? Do they still use that word? Grandfather, grandpa, some derivative? They don't have grandfathers anymore? Are they that scarce, rare, obsolete? 
I had grandfathers, two of them. People don't have grandfathers? Jeez, is that is that how serious when we say like the man not when we talk about it? Is it that serious that it's we don't even have a word to describe an older male figure who might be caring and constructive in your life? We don't even have a word to describe such a person. Grandmother, but male. I thought that was one of the most stunning moments in a week where there were a lot of stunning moments and much, much clowning. That one was pretty big in a very obscure way. Do people not have grandfathers? Is that just not a word? Maybe I missed it. Is that we don't have grandfathers anymore? Maybe they don't get there. Maybe you got to be a little bit older to get there. We don't get that far down the road. Maybe we don't live to be that old metaphor. Next. What a long week. Uh, Spoke town. Oh, excuse me. Smoke town. That was also in the in the segment. Mr. McAddy, I said Smoketown. Smoketown? That that reminded me of uh, when we read James Lowen, uh, Sundown Towns. He said they had lots of those little creative phrases uh, when they have terrorized the whole town of black people and ran them off. Isn't this like the anniversary of Tulsa, Oklahoma, what they call Black Wall Street? White terrorism again? When they do that sort of thing, and they've done that over and over and over, hundreds of times at least, when they do that sort of thing, run all the black people off and make them relocate to wherever they're going to go. Sometimes they'll call it uh, nigger town, Coonville, Niggerburg, Smoketown. That's immediately what I thought. And then especially they said Smoketown. We've had a lot of racial tension here. <laughs> said no, not in Smoketown. No, I can't believe it. James Lowen, uh, Sundown Towns, read that one. Quite a bit of constructive information. And in fact, I can get a twofer. Now, we had a female caller. It was earlier this week. I believe it was uh, the program where we uh, we revisited Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's 24th visit. Wow, spectacular. And at the end of that revisit, she called in and she asked about the flooding in Michigan. Uh, if people didn't haven't been paying attention, uh, they had dam failure uh, in the Michigan area within the last, I think, two weeks or so. This is pretty big news. They had to relocate, like, I think over 10,000 people. Like, it was massive uh, in Michigan. And so she asked, uh, do you know about the uh, population in the area of Michigan where they had the flood? And I said, no, I don't. I said, hey, I haven't been to Michigan. You know, <laughs> I'm a victim of white supremacy. I'm ignorant. Betsy DeVos and uh, Arnie Duncan, Department of Education heads, have not hooked me up over the years. I'm not the most informed person. So I don't know a whole lot about Michigan, uh, other than particularly other than like the major cities, Detroit, Ann Arbor, uh, Grand Rapids, you know, Flint, chemical and biological warfare. A few, I mean, but very few. And I said, now, one of the few things I know also because of James Lowen's book, they didn't just let Negroes locate anywhere in Michigan when they started moving north, trying to escape the terrorism from Mississippi and Alabama and all the rest of it. It wasn't like you could just go to Michigan anywhere you want to and pop your feet up. And ah, I'm away from racism. Ah, we only allow the Negroes to go to certain locations. Some mostly the cities that I just mentioned, <laughs> Grand Rapids, Detroit, uh, those types of areas, Dearborn, I think a few others, but it was not just, you couldn't just go anywhere. And I think Dearborn might've been a sundown town initially, but it's since now they have black people there 
Anyway, so the dam failure happened uh, in Midland, Michigan. I go to check out online, according to the 2010 census, the racial makeup of the city of Midland, 92% white. I stopped right there. That is overqualified. This would seem to be a sundown town and would seem to confirm what I just said about James Lowen book. You can't just come to Michigan and go anywhere if you're a Negro. Like, er, er, er. Get back over there in Detroit. Get you another teaspoon of that poisoned water in Flint. You can't just come into Midland. So probably not too many black people victims of the flood. I, the one thing I said, the, the news reports that I had seen about the flooding so far, it was only white people. That doesn't mean that there are no white people there because sometimes I would see video clips of Flint and I would just see white people even though it's mostly black people in Flint. But I hadn't really seen black flood victims in uh, Midland, but 92% white, I guess I wouldn't. Anywho, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. I'll get in one more lots from this week, or I guess I could get in two more. I'll get in two more. Uh, Number one, they had the clip about the protests in Australia being truthful. If it was Gus T, I'd have said, nah, don't do it. Or if they had even asked me like, hey, Gus, you've been talking about racism for a while, mostly incorrect, but you've been talking about it nonetheless, VGQ. Do you think we should go ahead with the protest here in Auckland? We're going to protest for you all. We're in solidarity. What do you think? I'd have said, nah. Like I've been telling the black people here, I don't think it's constructive. Like you're on the other side of the world. No. And you got the Rona still. No. Other constructive things we could be doing. Have y'all read the ISIS papers yet? <laughs> like uh, I could think of a lot of other things. Like I would have said, nope. I know the court said, you know, nope. But I'd say, nah, no reason. And particularly no, if it's going to be, you all might get arrested and all the rest. Eh. Sounds like it would be creating more problems. Next, uh, so we had the caller, I believe that was Jay in College uh, Station. He was talking about the section from the Man Knot where he discussed a certain sexual vulnerability uh, on black males and he said that he felt there was a certain sexual vulnerability uh, with regards to Mr. Cooper, who was the black male in New York, who was out bird watching and got terrorized, and then George Floyd, deceased. So he said that last week. Then this week, I heard the news clip, the officer in Trinity County, this is in California, right below, where he was placed on administrative leave since he has been uh, terminated, they say, but white people don't get fired, they get transferred. Uh, But the officer make sure I can get his name here. I'm looking at the report. Is it because they've named him since I don't know if he got his name in the post. They did have his name in the post. I'll make sure I name him before we go off. But the officer posted a meme of a deceased black male porn star on top of George Floyd's body as he was being choked to death. Delectable Negro. Let me give the full title again why that's in my top 10. Delectable Negro. U.S. Wait a minute. Delectable Negro. Human consumption and homoeroticism in U.S. slave culture. There it is. Full title is important. That's one. And then the man, not race, class, genre, and the dilemmas 
of black manhood. Now, one of the terms that we've used on this here broadcast for more than a decade is necrophilia. Dr. Curry used to talk quite a bit. There was an incident in like 2013, 2014, where some white teens, white children, white teens uh, got together and they killed uh, a black person or two. They stored the bodies on a bed and then they went and had a wild sex orgy on top of the black bodies. We got an enforcement officer makes a meme of a dead black male porn star on top of dead black male George Floyd. What is in your brain computer to even produce something of that nature? Number one, are you watching black male pornography on a regular basis? Are you watching black males have sex? If you're putting a black man, Dr. Welsing, Dr. Welsing, Dr. Welsing. What is going? That's one for Dr. Curry, too. Like, I'm going to make sure to share that with him. Like, what is going on? And you're ignorant about racism. That's just you can add that at the end after you get through all the rest of that. But you're ignorant about racism. But these are the type of images that you're posting as an enforcement official. And they say, uh, Daniel Holtzclaw, like that's an anomaly. He was the fellow that was raping folks in Oklahoma, raping black females exclusively in Oklahoma. Not an anomaly. Justin Volpe. Matter of fact, you put that Justin Volpe in New York where he sodomized Abner Louima. They just talked about that case as a so-called anniversary. They put the hot sauce on the genitals of the black inmates in North Carolina. We talked about that with Dr. Curry. My Negro brain is too small to comprehend. Uh, let's see. Anything else? There was a lot to talk about this week. I'll stop there. The number is 605-313-5164. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If you could take five minutes to share your thoughts, observations, suggestions. Uh, if you know you are in a noisy environment if you could use uh, or if you could get to a kind of quiet location that would be grand uh, and then you could take your five minutes and then mute your line uh, request that folks please use their mute button uh, just so that we don't have to compete with a lot of unnecessary uh, disruptions in the background much obliged I will request if we could not use metaphors man we had some doozies in the segment this week uh, now last week I believe it was they said that oh yes Racism has been simmering here for some time. This week we came back. What did they say? They said, oh, we've had racial tension boiling here for some time. Are we making gumbo? Are we making soup? What is going on? Are we talking about white people terrorizing black people? Oh, okay. Well, let's get off the stove metaphors. What are we talking about? Like simmering. It's boiling. Oh, it's about to burn. My chitlin's about to put. Come on. Come on. Speak directly about things because they do this sort of thing regularly on uh, a system of racism, white supremacy, uh, where we just are not using uh, correctly. All of that racial tension. Racially charged white people terrorizing black people and the specific uh, being specific 
that white fella, you heard the audio segment there where he was out at the podium at the rally. I think that was uh, our listener in Yami in Nebraska who got that much obliged, sir. But that white fella suspected race soldiers out yelling. I just want to say we white people have been the problem for years and eruption from the ah, yes, you tell them, yeah, Bobby. Yeah. I, let me say it again. Let me say it again. We white people have been, and he gets drowned. Yes, yes. Ah. My Facebook page has been the problem is white people for years. I have been cursed, called a racist, had the radio program thrown off the air. No one has ever said, not black people, not white people, no one. Oh my gosh, Gus. How could you synthesize it and make it so just poignant and not wasting words and buckets and buckets of words and pussyfooting and getting right to the point, indicting the predator. They don't say that. They say, you're a racist coon. And I know some good white people. And that Tim Wise has been all right. Jane Elliott was on television this week. And what are you doing? But that white man standing ovation. Facebook.com. The problem is white people. Let's see. Uh, First few folks who dialed in. If you have a hand up, comments to share, lines should be open. Proceed. Hey, everybody. The 712, which is an area code in Iowa, if um, people were wondering. And I just want to, um, got a couple reports from Iowa. Um, where I live, it was a couple protests, but luckily, no black people were out there, and I was, I felt good about that. I was like, good job, y'all. Don't, don't go out there. We were hoping to people out there. No, no, we're black. I was like, good job, y'all. And um, there was a, okay, so like the day of the big protest that everybody was doing, then there was another day, and then now we're on like day 10. But the second day where I am, um, some folks went downtown because nothing really got like tore up where I am or nobody did anything like that. But some people did go downtown and I highly suspect these were white people and spray painted BLM on some windows in our downtown area. And I was like, now see right there. Now see, they'll do that and tag the BLM like some black people's been here doing it. But it, I, I, I just highly believe it was some white people. Um, I like the report on rest. Um, it's like, I, I don't know what, it, it's been years. Um, I've been hearing people, they just cannot get to sleep at night. I, I can't get to sleep. And I'm um, just wondering if maybe it has something to do with all the electronics that we have going now. I heard, I heard people say, um, you should take all that stuff out of your room. Um, when you go to sleep, so hopefully maybe that'll help some people. Um, I know exercising um, before um, you go to bed, you know, exercise, take a shower, of course, but um, I know that helps people, but that's that's a big issue. People are dealing with that right now, that rest. They're just not getting enough sleep, and me included, just not getting enough rest. 
and then um I um I had something like I had an encounter uh with with a uh, a child. I mean, a, a racist young person. This person could barely speak English, so they were like three or four. But we were at a store, and um, she was the only child in there, and like, she was, you know, doing what children do, um, throwing around and doing stuff. And everybody in the store was like, "Oh yeah, that's great." Um, we'll just call her Samantha. That's great, Samantha. Do it again. And I wasn't paying attention because I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I don't like white children. There, a lot of them are racist and I don't deal with them. So I, I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't hyping her up. And I think she felt the energy because when it was time for me to go to the checkout stand, her and her, I guess, grandmother were right by me. And the little girl, I'm telling y'all, she was like maybe five or six. I don't know. She um, looked at me, and her face was all crushed up, and I couldn't understand what her little mouth was mumbling, and she was shaking her finger. And her grandma was like, what are you, Samantha, what are you saying? What are you doing? And everybody was in the store like, I wonder what is she saying? What is she doing? So I got checked out, and I was like, I don't know what she says, or and I don't know what she's doing, but I suspect it's something racist that she's saying to me. I'm the only black person here. Oh, gosh, all, all, of, all the white people. Oh, God, she can't be racist because she's only such and such years old and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, I just let them talk, and I walked out. They still was yapping when I was walking out. Um, and I thought I had something else to say. But if, if I remember it, I will uh, get back on here. So thanks for uh, listening to uh, what I said. Thank you, Kyle. I'll meet my wife. Yes, ma'am. Uh, racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, they all are dangerous. She said a lot of them are racist. <laughs> they are all suspected racists uh, from three to 103. Um, I just think in, in general, but particularly uh, white children when they're out and about like that, like, oh man, like keep your distance because uh, I've just found a lot of times they can be very aggressive uh, and particularly like seeing a black person like they already have an understanding of you as a black person I've seen enough uh, to come to enough evidence to come to a conclusion on that so I always think it's good to give distance and that energy I'm sure she picked up on it and and I'm sure you were correct like in terms of what you even if you you know couldn't suss out exactly what she was saying just seeing the change in her energy and how she was looking and her putting her you know mumbling her lips or whatever she was doing like yeah, she was probably mumbling and calling you all kinds of coons and, you know, everything else. I mean, the George Floyd challenge. Those were not folks Donald Sterling's age. None of them. Males and females. Uh, much obliged, ma'am, in Iowa. Stay safe. Uh, other than that, that's bravo. I'm glad to hear that, too. If the black people were not out protesting, bravo. That's stay safe with that no need let the white people do all the running around in the streets uh other folks who dialed in with a hand up proceed may i be heard greetings red in ohio the uh black male who was called a nigger and beaten with a bat that was in ohio yep um if i'm not mistaken from that clip i think it was youngstown which is I think it's no. I know it's definitely north. I think it might be northeast, not that far away from Cleveland. 
Um, actually, with that clip, I thought it was kind of sad where the the victim, um, the black male, said that he didn't have any hate in his heart. And it's like that that wasn't the issue. The hate wasn't in your heart, you know, as the victim. It was in the racist heart. Um, but I just have a few things to um, go over. So the first thing I wanted to mention, it was an article, and I actually saw it on the news. Um, the article is from the 3rd of this of this month. It says, um, it's from the Columbus Dispatch, and it says, person who attended Columbus protest tested positive for COVID-19. Um, and it just kind of goes on a little bit about, like, the protests. They were um, having uh, protests in downtown Columbus for seven consecutive days, um, and the person tested positive. And so I was thinking, well, you know what, that is a – they didn't, of course, say – they didn't describe who it was, but that would be definitely an ingenious um, – way of um, races, chemical, war, uh, biological warfare to go to a protest. And they said that um, in the article, I checked a few of them, they said that it, the person actually was symptomatic, but still went to, it says, uh, actually there's a sentence that says the individual was symptomatic on May 27th, but still attended protests that started May 28th. So, um, just thinking about that is should anyone feel like they should go to a protest, definitely try to stay as far back as you can, um, from everyone. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, because I was, um, trying to look up more information about the, the meme, because I heard about the officer being fired over the meme with, um, the, the porn star and all that. And I got it mixed up with this other one. There's actually more than one officer, apparently, with different memes. And this one, it says, um, this is from the New York Post. It says, NYC corrections officer suspended over sick George Floyd parody photo. And this is from the 5th of this month. Um, so in the article, it shows the picture. And it basically has a, um, a picture of some white man. In the article, it says it's just a white worker. And it's his face uh, pasted over the the race soldier who killed George Floyd. And then it has another black male's face pasted over George Floyd's face. And apparently, as you read the article, um, the person who made this is a, a white man who was upset with the union. And the black male whose face is pasted over George Floyd's face. That was actually the black union president. So um, I think it says he was suspended. Uh, I think this was the case um, with this person, too. Yeah, sorry. I read that in the title. Um, and that's all I want to share. I'll hit my line. Thank you. Wow. Not that I'm surprised uh, about, you know, a meme. Like, I mean, hey, if we were memeing dead porn stars, then, you know. Uh, but... I mean, that's like total that Gavin DeBecker, the gift of fear, that sort of thing. Like, why is that not a crime? Like, that's kind of a threat of violence against somebody like I'm putting your face here and it's known that I have a disagreement with you or I don't really like your policies. 
and I'm putting out an image that's suggesting you be killed <laughs> that's another one would this sort of thing be happening if the union representative was a white person wow uh, much obliged Red in Ohio uh, I thought that was a really important point about this could be an ingenious means of spreading uh, the virus to have a lot of black people out protesting and then you know I mean it could be lots of things you could have people that are sick or asymptomatic you could have people that are out because you've had racists boogaloo who said hey spread it spread it spread it you could have them they could go out and be in the protest and just give me a high five brother give me a high five sister I'm right there with you man George I mean and I mean important point to think about uh, and that was something I would have to read based on all of these protests and that type of thing. And they've had a lot of reports this week that the uh, protests could spark what they're calling a second wave, uh, meaning what we just talked about a lot of people uh, catching uh, COVID-19 as a result of being in these protests, or at least it being reported that that's what's happening. I would have to go back and rethink. Now, someone asked me, do you think it's a possibility that all black people could be quarantined? Dr. Welsing talked about that. Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington. Do you think that could happen? And I said, no. However, it is a system of racism, white supremacy. They could do that, you know, anytime they want to. They could do that in the next 30 minutes. No problem. And we shouldn't be surprised about it. And I said, well, I don't really see any evidence of that right now because they're not really taking the virus that seriously. Like they're out protesting. They're mad about the sanctions. These protests now with this if it happens where they have what they call a second wave and it happens sometime in June in any time frame where it can be attributed that it was the riots it was all this protesting that caused the second wave and now we got to have a shutdown oh yeah total revision of plan anything could happen like and particularly if that's if that is the sentiment going from end of summer into the autumn like oh man like yeah I would have to take that back and revise everything like the protests this lasting this long. And if that second wave is connected to the protests in any way, totally revision, I would have to scrap what I said, or I would have to uh, totally reevaluate my previous condition and even say, wow, we could be looking at something totally different if that's what happens. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if we've not heard from you, proceed. Hi, guys. Be in Toronto. Hope you are doing as well as possible, having a slightly better Saturday and getting some rest, quality, quality rest. Thank you. Yes. Um, yes, I've been getting um, more quality uh, rest um, now. I'd have to say in the first week I was not. Um, but now I am. I'm actually sleeping in a bit more. So actually reaching... Um, eight and a half uh, hours, sometimes seven to eight and a half hours. Um, but I, I also wanted to say to you guys, thank you so much, and thank you for the callers, listeners, um, uh, yesterday uh, for offering the support. And uh, definitely will we'll, uh, uh, take um, take up on that. Um, it was encouraging, and it, it did lighten the load. So thank you, um, and, and thank you to the callers and listeners as well for yesterday's uh, podcast. Um, the other thing I, I wanted I wanted to mention a, a few things. Um, the first is uh, the clip 
where it's the white male saying that white people have been the problems for 400 years. Um, I get very nervous when a whole bunch of white people start uh, cheering for things like that because I know in the back of my mind um, they're just saying it to, I guess, sound as if, you know, they're with the moment, but nothing will ever be done. I mean, if they really thought they were the problem, they would find a solution to eliminate that problem. And um, they still haven't chosen any solutions to eliminate the problem, even though they know that there's a problem. Um, the other thing um, that I noticed with the protest is that um, the protests uh, that are going on here in Toronto, um, or Toronto, uh, in London, and in other places around the world, including some of the states, <coughs> pardon me, uh, in the U.S., um, it, it just, uh, I, because there doesn't seem to be a clear set of demands, I'm just noticing that the narrative keeps changing. Um, for instance, here in Canada, we had uh, Justin Trudeau um, symbolically take the knee. And I question what that symbolism means because there was a knee to Mr. Floyd's neck and there was a knee that Colin Kaepernick had done against uh, police brutality. And um, what I found was so phony about this is that Justin Trudeau represents the federal government they know full well that they have the power within their scope to make changes. Um, they also have the power to influence the provincial government and municipal government to make changes as well. So the symbolism means nothing. And that's what it, it really, I see, is, is coming down to, is that a lot of what they say means nothing. A lot of what they do is trash. Um, and I'm talking about people who call themselves white. Uh, and, you know, just I, I'm just at the point where I just don't trust at all. Anything they say, anything they do, um, it's, it's just evil what they do. So um, unless there is a situation where they are going to give reparations, that they are going to start um, ensuring that they're they're doing the they're following the policies that they're not constantly trying to make um, policies and laws and then turn around and feel as if they're above the policies and laws. As long as they keep doing that, which uh, indeed they will continue to do that because they are sneaky and evil, um, there's nothing that they can say to to redeem themselves as far as I'm concerned. And lastly, I've been noticing uh, quite a bit with the um, the police pictures of the series of restraints of black people. Um, I've been noticing that the way that they're positioning themselves on um, uh, black men and on black women is as if um, as if they're raping them. Uh, what I mean by this is. Uh, there was um, one of the reports on CNN where there was a white police officer that 
has a, a black young man on the ground and they have their arm on the neck and they are literally straddling the black young man um, in, in a, what looks to be a sexual position. Um, and I've been seeing this many times before and it's akin to, to that, that buck-breaking symbolism. I was just noticing that today, how it's akin to that. And um, it's it just adds to it, it just adds to the fact of how evil and depraved these white people are. Um, yes, that's that's all I have to say. I'm I'm still um, trying to process this and seeing how I can how I can put this into a video. Um, to show about the buck-breaking mentality, how it's still there. Uh, again, um, part of the delectable Negro with the homoeroticism, as well as um, uh, violations of, of black women as well. Um, but thank you. I leave the line. Very common. But Justin Vope, I mentioned him using his nigger knocker to anally rape Abner Louima. Uh, Brandon Woodhouse is the name of the officer who did the pornographic meme uh, with the dead black male on top of George Floyd. Brandon Woodhouse uh, probably filling out an an application near someone listening uh, to be an enforcement officer again. Uh, That's what they do. Uh, I think Timothy Lowman killed uh, Tamir Rice some years ago. Uh, got fired from one department and just went and joined another one. Uh, also, uh, when I was checking to find the report about the different correctional officer who did the meme uh, of a live, he photoshopped a photo of a live black male uh, on top of uh, George Floyd's body. Uh, they have a different post where the television program Law and Order, they're going to have an episode where they dramatize the killing of George Floyd. We're almost got this racism thing licked, man. Almost there. I remember, uh, I think it was 2014. By the time we got to that spring scandal was still on cowbell. They did, uh, an episode about so-called, uh, police brutality where a black male got shot and killed in the street and what's going to happen and all the same. They had a big sound clip from that. And, Kerry Washington was great. Rave reviews. Always love. Said that. Always love that. Find a find a way to make some sort of television program out of black people being killed. Yes. Mm. More of the consumption and necrophilia. Got to have more television content where black people are dying. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, give out the number again: six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Please do not wait until the last minute. Uh, let's see, folks who we've missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up, proceed. Hello, you have me here. Yes, ma'am. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Irie, and I'm pissed. Um, all this stuff is 
really, really um, getting to me um, emotionally. Um, I'm considered an essential worker, and I had to make a delivery um, for someone's snack uh, two days ago. Um, I didn't have a uniform at the time, but they finally decided to give me a shirt with a proper, um, you know, logo on it so people would know that I'm working. But uh, before that happened, an uh, uh, older white male saw me standing waiting to be bused in to drop a delivery off. And, like, he was gesturing to me, and I didn't know why. Then he finally comes up through the door and says, who are you? What do you have? Uh, are you working? Do you have a delivery? Do you work for FedEx? And I had um, a jacket on that uh, basically has uh, an athletic brand on it. It didn't say FedEx, I promise you. So I just asked him, I was like, who are you? And then that's when he, he walked away, threw his hands up, slammed the door in my face, which I wasn't trying to go through the door anyway. I was waiting to get bugged in properly. So, you know, nobody could say anything. So, you know, that happened. Um, my mom has a white friend who decided to uh, racially showcase Candace Owens as an explanation to um, George Floyd's death. And I had to explain to my mom, Candace Thorns was, how she was confused. And I actually saw the confusion in my mom's eye because she couldn't, she, I don't think she could process uh, a young black female as, you know, rationalizing um, a black man dying like that. Maybe confusion. Uh, another friend of mine told me I should uh, text her and cut her out. I didn't do that. But I don't appreciate it, but I know my mom is not going to stop being her friend. Um, we're in the second industrial age. Uh, and that is why the president is waiving all these protections and, and um, prohibitions to messing up the planet because this has become a manufacturing planet. It's become a trash can planet um, because they've, all, they've moved on. I keep saying it to people. They still look at me like I'm crazy, but they, they've moved on. And so they got to take everything and make everything they can for, you know, the red planet. And so they're going to keep uh, junking it up uh, before they go and after. Um, I saw the thing with Anonymous. I don't know how to feel about Anonymous. Y'all could have stepped in a while back if y'all wanted to. Uh, there's mass hysteria being stirred up right now because it's deflection and uh, digression from the, the real issue, which is white supremacy. I, I'll repeat. Jumping planet. Um so, yes, all these, um, the deep fakes, they came out and admitted that they're, they're deep fakes with the banshee noises in the sky and the White House on fire. They want everybody to vote. They want everybody stirred up. They want everybody on edge. <sighs> A friend of mine in Chicago, I talked to her. She said she blamed Lori Lightfoot for the damage that occurred downtown because she said some white protesters, told her, which is the boldest thing I, I heard uh, at the time, uh, they told her, hey, we want to get to Trump Tower. That's all we want. If you let us do that, you don't have to worry about anything else. And she didn't allow it. So I said, how is that Lori Lightfoot fault? I said, do you know where, where you live? Do you know about Illinois, Chicago? And she was, I said, so let me ask you this. What do you think would have happened? Or 
do you think anything would have happened at all? She said, no. I said, well, you need to read some books on history because if they would have went down there and set the president's building on fire, I guarantee at least some there would have been activation throughout the Midwest. And you might not have a home on the west side right now. That's foolish. I was very upset with that because there were black people probably severely confounded by that. I just, I just was upset. And I thought she knew better, but we all victims, and obviously we're still learning. Um, we try to hurry up. Asians, Hispanic, I've, Hispanics, I've always thought of them as honorary white supremacists. They do not speak up. Uh, they want to be favored. There was a comedian on Netflix that came out and said he's, he's Indian-American, so-called. He said, we make fun of dark people in our family, and we make fun of black people. He's like, so, yeah, we need to step up because we're doing this because of white supremacy. He didn't say that, but that's basically what it was. I was glad to see it. Um, you know, well, that's, you know, that's basically it. Um, I just get to be tired, like my grandmother used to say, um, I hope everybody can stay safe, and God, I, you know, in agreement with your prayer, Gus, you know, just end it immediately, because obviously we can't do it on our own, and some people just won't. And uh, thank you. I'll mute my line. ASAP. ASAP. Man. Breathing. That's something. That was, I think, when she got to the point where she talked about breathing, just being able to stop and get your breath back like man in this moment i mean really anytime they've been saying that for a while but that is a big one like uh, some other folks are talking about that like just being able to take a few moments and take some deep breaths man it has been a tough one all the way around uh poor lori lightfoot get blamed for everything they got uh in uh that's in chicago she's mayor in atlanta it's poor keisha lance bottoms uh where they just get blamed for everything it's your fault like well wait a minute as a black mayor in a system of white supremacy like (laughs) i almost feel like you could put the ellipsis right there dot 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 you don't need to what else do i need to say like really it's my why isn't it the white protesters fault for going down and acting a fool like what why is it <sighs> poor Lori Lightfoot tough job um, Candid- uh, uh, Mr. Fuller's concept of uh, racial showcasing very important happens frequently uh, that's why I said earlier we all non-white people we all support the system of racism white supremacy in a variety of ways and because so many non-white people are confused if not all we are confused about white supremacy racism it's very easy for a race soldier woo worst words in the world worst two word combo white friend oh your mommy's white friend it's super easy for her to find a victim hey come here now didn't that George Floyd didn't he deserve that tell her tell her explain it it's super easy that just shows how efficient they have been at brain trashing and confusing victims of white supremacy worldwide and you said you could see seemed like it might have been having an impact and those white friends man woof good job for being patient with your mother and just trying to use logic reveal truth uh, about what is happening but those white friends man I've had some myself man they are dangerous 
Uh, I have my word guide close, but I am going to relax for the moment. If anybody else listening in has their word guide, Mr. Fuller has the word honorary white there. He recommends not using it. If somebody has their word guide close enough where they could read what he says about that term, that would be nice. I just, I say that because I remember when this exact same thing was happening in 2013, the term honorary white started to be used more frequently. I'm saying it that way specifically because I checked the analytics on Google and you could see a spike in word usage online right with the Trayvon Martin murder trial, honorary white, and we had it read then, so we'll have it read again maybe. Other folks who dialed in that we missed totally, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Greetings. Yes, ma'am. Hello? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Uh, you, were the, you were the one that asked about the yes. 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 Thank you for looking that up for me because I was looking it up also and I came to the same conclusion as you um, that it was a uh, majority white. So I left it alone. Um, the protest. Uh, it's been a spectacle. Um, it seems very like it almost seems like it's a pop culture thing going on right now. I've seen proposals. I've seen weddings. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what else is there to see. Uh, as I said, it just seems like uh, people are bored. They've been locked up in their house. And it's something to do. Um, especially with this global thing. I'm like, you know, racism white supremacy is global. And I'm not really understanding why we're talking specifically about this person, George Floyd, and we're not talking about the system of racism like them. Um, and the last point I want to make is, so I'm on Podbean a lot, uh, you know, doing different uh, podcasts and doing pod- my podcast. And um, I had this white guy on my program. And from my interaction with him, I, uh, <laughs> I categorized him as a racist white supremacist. Um, I saw the same white guy in someone else's podcast, a black male podcast. But this black male on his podcast, he does a lot of name calling, like cool and all that stuff. And um, I find that that white supremacist guy really, really enjoyed that black guy's podcast. So I think it's really, really important. And I think, and even that black guy too, you know, he really talked about me fuller. And I'm like, you know, People who talk about me before never really talked about his 10 stops. They always talk about like race soldiers and stuff like that, but never really talk about his 10 stops. And I think those 10 stops are very important for black self-respect. And no name calling. Like I think that is very important, no name calling. And I think it's very important that you enforce that in your shoulders. And I want to like applaud you for doing that. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, much obliged. I I have concluded. I mean, you would think out of all of the things in the system of white supremacy that are in, even that, like for Mr. Fuller to have a list of 10 things, like these are important. If there are 10 things that we can stop right now, like it's a bunch of things that he could have put on that list that, you know, we need to stop doing this, right? We need to stop protesting right now. He could put that on the list. A lot of things that could have been put on that list, but he put 
Stop name calling. That's how important Mr. Fuller thought 10 stops are to put that my list of 10 things right now. You need practical things. Let's not protest and all that. Stop name calling other black people. I understand totally why he would have that as a top priority like man and it be the same reason why someone that you said I've concluded this fella is a racist he would love it talking to a black coon this and coon that and negro and you know we got these nutritional Uncle Toms and we got the fictitious nutritional Uncle Tom and we got the negro I can totally visualize image a racist numerous racist oh I love it yes yeah tell me about how he coons yes he coons a whole yes I think Whitney Houston's a nutritional Uncle Tom too yep matter of fact we were on, I was a guest on Jesse Lee Peterson's uh, program where he has a white guy who is at the switchboard doing the engineering and everything and they do the same thing sit around a name call but probably name call some of the black people I just talked about and he oh, love it love it yes yes Jesse Lee yes no name calling uh, other folks that we missed totally uh, if you have a hand up comments to share it has been just silliness all week long just silliness through and through clowning reclaiming cheesecakes black voters are coming for Trump Black Lives Matter Plaza. Other folks uh, that we missed totally. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I agree with the previous call about the name calling. I, I guess for them, I try really hard to not do that. And it take it takes away from other programs because there are other programs that have a lot of information. But once you start hearing the name calling, it just I don't know. To me, it just takes away from it. So I'm thank I'm thankful for that. Um, today was the reunion for my high school. Um, they did it online, and I didn't. I, w- I was wrong. I went for like a second to see my hey, I'm alive. You know me, you know. Um, but Part of the agenda was, I guess, was some um, a George Floyd tribute, and and I really am sorry that this has happened to him. I really am. This been like two weeks. Um, I'm not saying don't protest or all that, but with a school, a class, or a school in general, with a class that is, I would say, was sixty percent white, thirty percent Asian. And ten percent lumped together, black and Hispanic. You're concerned. And when I went there, I was part of the, I guess, the black club. And they never came to any meetings at all. And our high school was from seventh to twelfth grade. So this is six years of me going to these meetings and not seeing anybody that really was. They were just all black people. One of the advisors was white for a while, but then she went on to other things. But other than that, you know, I don't act like you care now. So I didn't, I said, and I went, I did the Zoom because we're Zoom, but you could join without video. So that's what I did. Hey, I'm alive. Yeah, I know they saw my name pop in and pop out, and I was. So I'm alive. 
um, the books, like he, like I think he had um, a clip where they're recommending a lot of books and all these things. All these recommendations are for black, are for not all, definitely not for black people. Um, I guess we just supposed to wait and watch other people do these things. Our processing is supposed to be quote unquote enough because they're never any. They don't recommend us do anything. We're just supposed to sit back and keep going to work or whatever we were doing. Um, and the books, you know, they're not recommending a lot of books that you've read. They might recommend um, read during, during the book club. They've recommended some. And, of course, my favorite recommendation is what? The new American classic book, book and the movie. So that is supposed to help white people, I guess, understand what black people go through. They don't recommend hardly any of the movies that you talked about with um, Dr. Kevorkian. So, I guess, you know. Oh, well. Thank you. Pitiful. Mm, mm, mm. The Hate You Give New American Classic I have no idea. So you watch George Floyd die and the memes and all that. And they say, read the hate you give. What? <laughs> like, uh, I have no idea to hear them call Huey P. Newton names, Dr. Huey P. Newton names and tragic. <laughs> yeah. In the archives, the hate you give formerly the worst book ever. Pitiful. Pitiful, pitiful. That's so interesting because I was just thinking we should have Dr. Kevorkian on the program. Uh, we could discuss the Boogaloo, the electric uh, Boogaloo film. Why would they pick, you know, this term associated with this film with all this amongst, uh, you know, other things related to racism? But I was just thinking of Dr. Kevorkian and then, boop. She mentioned his name. We've talked about a lot of films, like easy 10 uh, films. Matter of fact, you could watch uh, Mario Van Peebles. He did uh, Badass, which is about his father's film. Uh, his father is Melvin Van Peebles, also a filmmaker. He did a lot of films about racism. Watermelon Man is a good one if you want to check out a film uh, where it ends with black people that are kind of preparing to protest. But uh, his Melvin Van Peebles' son... Mario Van Peebles I think the film he's most known for is probably New Jack City although he did a number of other films Uh, I think he did Rosewood unless I'm really confused I think yeah he did Rosewood but that's not the oh no that was John Singleton sorry sorry Mr. Singleton whoops my apologies he's the late John Singleton but Mario Van Peebles done a lot of films about racism too I think the film he's most known for is New Jack City he also did a film uh, called Riot which is about the uh, 1992 uh, unrest, uh, reclaiming after the uh, trial and the beating of Rodney King. Uh, his dad, Melvin Van Peebles, is in the film, and it kind of covers these different perspectives. Um, I don't say it's the most informative about white supremacy racism, but, you know, 
there is a long history of these type of events happening and, you know, being documented and chronicled. You can look at that one and then you can see how that compares to like the law and order SUV unit one from next week. They got a bunch of these uh, films. They got ones on the Watts riots from the 1960s. They love that. They love, you've seen a lot of that this week. They love to pull those out. They pulled out some of the ones from 1992 with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. They were talking about, they were recording, I think the chronic or something when all this happened and, Love it, love it, love it. They'll pull that out. They'll pull out, probably pull out some of the ones. Oh, see the CVS burning down? That was Freddie Gray. Remember that? That's not even that long ago. Other folks uh, that we have missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up, commentary to share, line should be open. Can I do it? Greetings, Henry in Chicago. All right. Uh, greetings, Gus, and greetings to all, all the callers and listeners. Um, one of the recordings that you played earlier in regards to uh, propaganda and how uh, it is made on the media about how dangerous the protesters are, you know, by sh- you know showing uh, the aftermath of riots and you know burning down stuff. Um, I was listening to an interview that uh, Paul Jay, a white man who owns a uh, the real news media was uh, interviewing Dr. Gerald Horn, and he was talking about uh, two news coverages that he did. Uh, one was the 2010 uh, G20 summit in Toronto, and he said that it came out that the police in Toronto was planting uh, police vehicles uh, in open areas where they basically burned the police vehicles. Uh, during those uh, protests to, I guess, give this image that the protesters were, you know, burning police vehicles and burning down buildings and stuff like that. So uh, I thought that was interesting. And he also mentioned about he was also covering the the Baltimore uh, riots in uh, 2015 after Freddie Gray. And he was saying that uh, the union uh, told the police to stand down while they let the protesters, you know, loot and burn uh, the stores. And then uh, at the end of it, they, you know, they, uh, the union had told the policemen to, you know, blame the, uh, blame the police chief and the, and the mayor. I believe there were two black people at the time. I'm not sure, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, it was strategically done to just kind of, uh, you know, make the make the protesters into rioters and and obviously we've seen video footage of you know white people coming in and busting windows and 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 causing all this havoc and disturbance uh and you know it made me think about what's going on here in chicago in regards to that because i did see a couple of police cars being burnt in areas where you know i I wouldn't think that protesters would be at um but you know I, i i wouldn't put it past uh, you know, race soldiers to use that same strategy. And earlier, what I I said about uh, you know uh, her friend blaming uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot for the whole thing. You know, I I agree with her. I think that's ridiculous. Um, you know, uh, the, the the problem is is that um, you know she and uh, the new police chief of uh, Chicago, uh, David Brown. Uh, the other day, they were on the uh, they were on TV talking about uh, uh, how the police were treating the protesters, 
and was vowing, you know, to, you know, uh, more more harsh penalties for any police, uh, for any policemen caught, you know, uh, harming any protesters. And then the next day, uh, the, uh, the president of the Chicago Police Board, who was a black male, was actually attacked by a Chicago policeman because they thought he was one of the protesters. Uh, apparently, he said he was just walking home, and there was a protest uh, you know, around his house, and he was basically attacked by Chicago police. This is a guy who's the president of the Chicago Police Board. So it goes to show what the race soldiers think about their black mayor, their black police chief, and the president of the Chicago Police Board, who was also black. They don't care. They're racist. And the system of white supremacy is still here. So um, that is something that I, you know, I always say that Mayor Lightfoot, that you can't blame her for any of this because she's a victim, you know, as, 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 as we all are. And any any black person in a position, in a high position like that, obviously is controlled by the racist anyway. So uh, that's all I have right now in my life. Wow. That is amazing. Or I can't say it, man. I just said Dick Lair, black uh, police officer, beat him unconscious and left him bloody in the alley. Uh, so I can't say it's, you know, unbelievable just... That is the system of white supremacy, as uh, Ivory said, ASAP, immediately, uh, the Chicago Tribune. Remember they had that article about wishing for a Hurricane Katrina to wash all the Negroes away in the Chicago Tribune? I think that was 2015. Maybe COVID-19, maybe that'll do it for them. So the Chicago Tribune, they have Chicago Police Board President says officers hit him with batons at weekend protest. I walked into the middle of an uprising. Chicago Police Board President Gian Foreman, hope that's how you say it, G-H-I-A-N, uh, Gian, I think that's it, said Friday that officers hit him with batons last weekend as they clashed with protesters who marched on the south side over the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. That's close to where uh, the uh, Bubbly Creek is, you know, what we just read about. In a statement, Foreman issued Friday afternoon through the police board he said he was not participating in the protest over Floyd's death at the hands of Minneapolis police but coincidentally encountered the demonstration when it became confrontational in a brief interview Friday afternoon Foreman said he was struck five times in the legs with batons while going for a walk I walked in the in the middle of an uprising said Foreman who lives near the site near the site of the protest uh, it goes on a little bit more but uh, I, this is not the first, second, I don't even remember uh, time that I have heard uh, a black person who was not protesting. Uh, they were just, you know, a pedestrian walking, sometimes going to work or whatever. And enforcement officials came and said, and they just started swinging and beating and tasing and pepper spraying. And, you know, wait a minute, I'm not even in the protest. I don't even know who George Floyd is. What are y'all doing? And yeah, glad he lived to tell about it, Mr. Foreman. Uh, much obliged, uh, Henry in Chicago. We read uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. We just read his biography on uh, Paul Robeson. Like literally, narrated and all. Henry in Chicago pitched in. Myself, retired firefighter. We just sat there and read that. Very constructive. 
Uh, let's see. Other folks who we have missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up and we've not heard from you at all, uh, speak up. Don't wait till the end. Hey, how you doing, uh, uh, Carla from New Jersey? Yes, sir. Um, I was just I was listening to the uh, uh, female talk about uh, the uh, white friend that introduced uh, talking points uh, from Candace Owens. Um, I could relate, but. Uh, you know, uh, we're dealing with my mother and racism and confusion. Uh, she's dating, she's dating, you know, um, and I found myself, uh, very upset, uh, when the George Floyd, um, uh, when the riots, the protests started, right? So, um, so when it started, you know, he was just, I just, you know, I, I went to visit my mother and I, she was on the phone with the, with, with, with the black male. And he was pointing out basically how black folks are just, you know, acting up, tearing up. And when I brought to my mother's attention, I said, listen, there's, there's white people out there rioting and breaking things too. So, you know, it, it was just real interesting when, you know, uh, Black people are just um, so ready to indict other black people, especially as it relates to rioting. And um, I also had a conversation with this particular black man, and he said the problem with black people isn't, uh, the, the biggest problem with black people is no father. <laughs> so he's, um, he's very confused, um, old man um, in his 60s. And um, so I asked him, I said, uh, what came first? No fathers or racism or racism and no father? <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm just, so I, I can relate to the confusion, but what we had when, when, when I did have the exchange about George Floyd and, and you know, once the protest and the quote-unquote the quote riot started, um, I felt myself getting heated. You know, because I was just, you know, just really just kind of upset. And sometimes you get frustrated, especially when you're talking to somebody that's more confused than you. Um, I didn't name call. And after a while, honestly, um, Gus, I thought about you. And I calmed myself down. And we just started to have a conversation. And, um, and I guess that saying you can agree to disagree, that's, you know, what happened. So um, I can definitely relate. And um, whether it's um, somebody confused or whether it's a white person that's um, talking to a parent and adding to the confusion, it, it can get frustrating. Um, with the with the protest, I'm very suspicious um, because uh, you know what I thought about? I thought about the Arab Spring, and I thought about those protests that started in um, Egypt. And um, the leader stepped down, and it was replaced with a military dictatorship. And from that, it spread off into Syria. And then, you know, then we started hearing reports of ISIS. And from Syria, it spread off into Libya. And the dictator of Libya was deposed. So what I was explaining to a friend of mine, I explained to him, I said, what we see in the streets of the United States, um, the U.S. intelligence, British intelligence, European intelligence, you know, creates 
these kind of civil unrest across the planet. Why couldn't we do it here? You know, because it, it just, you know, and now that I'm just seeing, you know, these companies like, okay, we've seen countless shootings and murders of black men by the hands of law enforcement. We've seen it, like, on the news. Um, it was clear that these people, these men or women were murdered, was unarmed. What was it about George Floyd that created this awakening? Now that now they under now the NFL understand what uh, Calvin Kaepernick uh, Millen was about. Now they get it. You know, okay, now we get it. Now you know, him Millen wasn't really disrespecting the flag. We see now what it was about. I don't buy it. Um, again, like I said, I'm just basically paying attention to every word that is said, every news report, because there's going to be some contradictions down the way. So, you know, so I'm just, and, you know, and I, I called yesterday about workplace racism, you know, funny, uh, cause he said I should suggest, uh, Al Sharpton with my employer, um, acts of any charity. So, uh, I was on the phone with uh, employees, said employees today, and um, they agreed upon the agency, I mean, the um, charity to donate to. And I, I thought about you, Gus, and I'm talking to I'm talking to my employee, and I'm chuckling, because every bit of me wanted to just say, don't you just donate to Al Sharpton? <laughs> but I didn't. But she says uh, the tackiness, just, oh, you know, I just wanted to ask you a question. When I write the word black, um, do do I make the B uppercase or lowercase? Sometimes sometimes I see it lowercase, sometimes I see it uppercase. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I just say, you know what, I think it'd be appropriate to make the B uppercase. So Gus, again, these people weren't naive of the treatment of black people yesterday. I don't know what has created this awakening today. Only thing I can say is, um, as, as victims, whether this is not genuine, if, if this is disingenuous, and it is another motive, we, we have to basically just find a way to get something out of there. You know what I'm saying? Not just use all our time and energy and basically just get, um, you know, um, a forgiveness, I'm sorry, we were wrong. And then a year from now, we're going right back to basically realizing black people. So, you know, we will see how this thing will end. I don't know. Patience with other black people, victims of white supremacy, Especially now, you know, because I think a lot of us are stressed. We're not sleeping well. It's terrible. It's ter- It's terrorism. And then being exposed to that on a constant basis and having to see all these reports and you being personally terrorized or other people that you care about, then you're exposed to tacky incidents of terrorism from your colleagues and what have you. It can be tough to have patients left for victims 
But I think it's critical right now because I suspect a lot of folks are already kind of in a difficult spot. And so they might just be ready, you know, to uh, I think they'll sometimes say lash out or get angry. Uh, and it might not even necessarily be that they're upset about the viewpoint or the conversation or what have you. It's just they got so much stress already that, you know, they, they just need some sort of outlet or, or they just have so much pent up anxiety uh, that I think, especially now, it's what I said before, being able to stop. Deep breath. Maybe you need two or three. Glass of water is always great. Water uh, decreases your heart rate. Just take a few sips, slow things down. We don't have to agree. You and Candace Owens may be right. <laughs> you know, you can leave it at that and uh, not try to convince, especially if the person is very confused. But no name calling, if it can be a calm conversation, calm exchange of views, fine. If not, we can talk about other things smoothie recipes veggie recipes, best ways to cook french fries without deep frying like a lot of other conversations see that space launch? wow why do you something <laughs> like uh, lots of other things to be talking about uh, folks we've missed totally you have a hand up can I be heard? retired firefighter, yes sir greetings Gus, greetings to everyone honorary white person Mr. Fuller suggests to do not use this term when others use it, ask for a detailed explanation that you can easily understand. Also, ask them to explain what it does not mean. Notes. According to compensatory counter-racist logic and during the existence of white supremacy, racism, there is no such person as an honorary white person. In racial matters, there exists only three classifications of people in the known universe, white, non-white, and white supremacists, racist man and racist woman. The non-white classification includes all shades of black people, brown, tan, yellow, red. The white classification includes all white people. The white supremacist, racist classification includes all white people who are not only white, but who also practice white supremacy, racism, which is the mistreatment and the non-just subjugation of non-white people by white people based on the color of people. So-called honorary white people are, in truth, those non-white people who are chosen by the white supremacists, racist man and or racist woman, to provide special services to the system of white supremacy racism in return for special material and or praiseworthy benefits. And the last part down, he has a, a phrase that states, a slave does not stop being a slave because he or she sometimes rides the same horse as the master. Uh, I have uh, recently, I would say probably this week, been thinking about uh, how uh, with these recent uh, specific uh, 
non-white people being mistreated by being killed primarily either by law enforcement with a badge or without a badge have become personalities, quote unquote, uh, through the uh, media system that is primarily controlled by uh, white people. And it is continued to non-white people. And uh, I ask a, a question to myself on whether or not that strengthens the system of racism, white supremacy, or it weakens it. Uh, I would suspect it strengthens it, actually, uh, because it it's sort of narrows the the narrative of what the global system of racism, white supremacy, uh, does as a result. Uh, it's it is a gambit of mistreatment in all forms that exist, uh, including death, but it's a lot more different ways uh, that uh, non-white people are mistreated on this planet uh, that uh, is uh, a strength for the race, race of white supremacy and primarily the reaction to such to such uh, practices is the reaction of the victims is primarily emotional, ill-planned, and uh, in in results, it uh, strengthens the system of racial white supremacy and weakens the victims. Uh, I always cringe. Last night, I always cringe. And I, I, I sent the uh, an article to you. It may have been from the uh, with the that name that I'm hearing that I think is a non-white black female. Uh, I've been hearing it during reports. I think uh, it's probably the same person. But nevertheless, I sent uh, Gus uh, that article, an article uh, that was uh, basically, which is not unusual for the white supremacists is to uh, do research on a non-white victim. Uh, they did it with Trayvon Martin, uh, and they're doing it with uh, Mr. Floyd uh, to show their quote-unquote past. And, uh, and uh, this victim's past, uh, it, is, uh, it has a criminal report. Uh, matter of fact, it has, uh, in, in one case, which was reported in this article, a, a violent criminal report. Uh, and uh, these methods, these war-like methods and uh, racist white supremacy is war, is to uh, show a uh, level of discredit amongst uh, someone that they already promoted uh, and to basically once the once the uh, uh, situation of the trials uh, of these uh, law enforcement officers start coming up, then these things will be enacted uh, to uh, further confuse the uh, the environment, uh, which is uh, you know we know the product of racism by supremacy itself is to confuse the victims. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, uh, that that basically is my uh, my report uh, for this uh, 
this week uh, have a concern about, oh, I have, well, the concern is basically about the, uh, the idea of uh, non-white people stating about white people that they are silly, stupid, they don't know what they're talking about, that sort of thing. And uh, that, in my mind, is, is, uh, is far, far from reality. Uh, we're dealing with a very crafty, uh, formidable uh, opponent that is uh, sinister beyond any uh, prior human behavior. Uh, so uh, if you are emotional, uh, that's understanding, but one has to work very hard to suppress that emotions, uh, to not let it overcome your thinking process. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Logic critically important. Mm. Thank you for the reading, sir. Much obliged. Honorary white in the word God. Thomas in New York. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to try to get through my notes here in five minutes. Um, Man, what a 2020. Last week was unprecedented. Um, I saw Brother riding on what he said was a stolen police horse. Black people running out of stores with designer clothes and accessories. Young people, young black people take an army vehicle from the National Guard, riding around the swing on the back, swinging off the roof. Um, And to describe what white people are doing right now in the context of white supremacy, as far as I see, is totally clowning. Uh, they got enough sound bites and clips to last them a lifetime. Um, um, reporting under curfew, went from quarantine to curfew. And uh, I believe the events over the last week were staged uh, from the protest to the riot to the looting. Um, so much propaganda, so many anomalies within the system of white supremacy. First, white people's actions and their acting um, nationally and now worldwide. Uh, it's like they all got the same memo. Um, they're definitely in on cold right now. Um, and I say this is a result of whiteness studies on campuses worldwide and classrooms worldwide. Uh, they know exactly what to say. Um, like I said, they're on cold. Even companies are condemning the police brutality. Now the NFL, Roger Goddell, Drew Brees, you know, all on cold. Um, governors, mayors, and police, unprecedented. Police chiefs, governors, and mayors saying they were unprepared, overwhelmed, unable to respond. When you ever heard of white people admit defeat? Um, the white newscasters watching people fires, setting fires and looting, um, hitting police with objects. They're sympathizing and pacifying the protesters in their actions. Unprecedented. Um, I saw looting and stealing in New York in areas like Fifth Avenue, Soho, Everett Square, Rockefeller Center. White people could have easily stopped it and let it happen. Um, it took some kids hours to get through the barriers. They were just allowed to do it. Um, pallets of bricks, dumpsters of flammable material in the routes of the protesters. 
Then two white supremacist groups are being arrested, the Boogaloo and Antifa. These are the same two groups that were in Charlottesville fighting each other, throwing piss projectiles at each other. Um, Black Lives Matter on police issue polo shirts and t-shirts now. Uh, they put they had the transportation department in Washington D.C. put Black Lives Matter on the street and they named the street Black Lives Matter Street. Which I will say to anyone who doesn't agree there's a system of white supremacists, just take them to Black Lives Matter Street and ask them why do we have a street called Black Lives Matter. Um, lastly, I think that in my opinion we officially entered the stage called contact tracing. They have put it on my phone. I got an email from Google, told me the places I visited, where I shopped at, even showed pictures of the places. So I was at the park, showed a picture of Jackie Robinson Park, and told me how long I was there and how many people I was in contact with or how many other phones tried to contact with my phone as they came close to it. So um, if you were looting and randalizing stuff, um, they could easily find um, They're going to know that you were in Macy's while they were closed and barricaded in at this time, and these are the people who are around you, um, just if you had your phone on. I'm with my line. Did you say you saw someone steal a police horse this week? I'll send you the video, Gus. I sent it to the firefighter. All-time classic. All-time. It, it, it might have stopped when they pulled Reggie Barry out the car, Reggie Benny out the car. I mean, this was a... I'm going to send it to you. His brothers had his black power fist, and they like, where did you get the police? They stole him. Oh, come on. I'm wounded. I'm the police. I'm wounded. I'm wounded. I'm totally wounded. That's Chicago. One of their older ones. <laughs> what to say? What Racism is almost done. We have reclaimed cheesecake, police horses, they're not using pepper spray in Seattle. I mean, the finish line is nigh. Total clown. Never. Hello, guys. Oh, wait a minute. Let me make sure we got uh, people we missed totally. I heard you, but let's just make sure we didn't miss anybody. People we missed totally. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, guys. Greetings to all the callers and the listeners. This is in Yame in Nebraska. Um, I just have a couple quick reports, um, updates on things that's happening around this area of the world. Um, the young non-white male who was shot and killed, uh, his name was James Scurlock, shot and killed by a white bar owner who um, was briefly detained by law enforcement but was let go and has not been charged. Um so that's been mixed in with the protests in Omaha, Nebraska, that have already been going on. They've announced that they were attempting to um, bring a grand jury to go over the uh, to go over the matter and possibly charge the bar owner. Um, but they've been trying to locate three non-white witnesses, and I think that the, pro- the reason they have problems locating these witnesses is because. Witnesses tend to know that they can get retaliation um, for their testimonies. And um, so far, they've located two of the witnesses. They're still looking for the third. But I am expecting 
them to use the self-defense. Now, Nebraska is uh, what you call a no-self-defense state, meaning that you have to do everything in your power to separate yourself from danger before you take any um, type of aggressive action. Otherwise, you could also be charged. Um, but this uh, bar owner uh, claimed that he uh, was protecting his business, and he heard windows shatter. He uh, went outside, he confronted protesters with his uh, pistol drawn, and he claimed that he was uh, jumped. But I, I shared video footage of, um, it's kind of blurry, it's hard to make out, but um, even in Nebraska, they would argue sometimes that he would have been in the wrong for even coming out of his place of business, uh, since they wasn't posing an immediate threat to his uh, safety. Um, but... Anyway, I'm still expecting that he, even if he was charged, that he would not be convicted. Um, so that's a report for that incident. Also in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, the so-called uh, community met with uh, the Lincoln Police Department to form what they call a Hold Cops Accountable Agreement. And uh, I, would, I would like to read... Uh, what the agreement states. It is one page. Um, it says, whereas the Lincoln Police Department recognizes the value and dignity of all people in the Lincoln community and recognizes the right of every voice to be heard, as such, LPD will attend and be engaged with community members at a monthly event titled Hold Cops Accountable, or HCA that will be facilitated by the HCA committee in a town hall meeting at the Malone Center. This monthly meeting will serve as an outlet for community members to publicly voice displeasure, compliments, complaints, concerns, or commendations concerning the Lincoln Police Department. Whereas the HCA committee will be composed of Malone Center employees, community group members, local area law enforcement officials, and members of the Mayor's Multicultural Advisory Committee. The HCA committee will organize, facilitate, and maintain a public record of the monthly meetings. Although the HCA will not investigate complaints or misconduct, the HCA will provide any person who communicates a concern or grievance the opportunity to file a formal complaint with the Lincoln Police Department's Internal Affairs Unit. All complaints will be investigated according to the LPD's pu publicly available General Order 1430. The HCA committee's over overarching goal is to work for the justice of the community members that the Lincoln Police Department has sworn to protect and serve. Whereas the HCA will document and maintain a public record of the meetings, this record will help inform the Lincoln Police Department's training, policies, and procedures especially those related to fair and impartial policing, cultural competency, and policing strategies. The stories told by community members during these meetings will serve as educational touchstones that will be taught in LPD's academy and annual in service. So from reading this uh, one-page document serving as an agreement between the so-called community in the police department, I do not see how this will help hold cops accountable as it is um, 
titles, but I do see a lot of refinement. And as the levels of refinement go up, so does my suspicion of all white people. Um, but the so-called community, especially the uh, non-white people here, seem to support this and think that it it may bring about justice somehow. They um, publicly uh, announced this agreement had been uh, entered into. There was news cameras, uh, hundreds of people in the park. And they commenced to dancing together, police and so-called community members alike, doing the Cupid Shuffle, which happened to go viral. So they were celebrating this initiative, even though nothing had uh, actually happened from it. But I will continue to be suspicious, and I will continue to um, keep track and uh, leave updates. That's all I have to share for now. Thanks for letting me share, and I will mute my line. Much obliged, Inyame, in Nebraska. That was painful for, wow, many reasons. Um, and then the conclusion. I told you it's just been a week of clowning. We can't clown if we don't have a little shuffle action at the end. We got a little interracial shuffle. How about that? In Nebraska, like, woo. As he was, As he was reading it, I was thinking like, this is so worthless. Like the comparison, we should, you know, speak directly, but I would much rather get the video on the horse theft than to have to listen to Cause I mean, this is just clearly nonsense. Like all those words, Mr. Fuller says for workplace racism to not use when you have been abused or mistreated. Uh, it's not that you are whining. You're not complaining. You don't have a grievance. You don't have a gripe. Uh, all of those words that I say, they're just infantile, infantilizing, us you're just a little children all right you little children we'll let you come in and tell us how the lincoln police department come on we'll do it once a month you little children can come in you can yell and shout and or if you have compliments we'll take those too and we'll we'll take it under advisement it'll be a teachable moment it'll be what they even broke out the thesaurus said it'll be a touchstone (laughs) and then we'll do the come on come on that is Woo! It has been high-level clowning all week long. Folks, we missed totally. May I be heard? Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, that was one of the the uh, videos, uh, reports I did see, the dancing Um synchronized dancing with one another. Uh, there was a report down here where there was a, a black male victim. He dressed up in a Spider-Man costume uh, going to a protest. Uh, and I just couldn't necessarily understand why that was, but I guess he was saying something about, well, since Spider-Man fights against injustice, this is the message I wanted to contribute. So, I just said to myself, VBQ. Uh, as far as the the uh, the Asian person, I definitely sense the anti-blackness um, because this is definitely worldwide. Not too long ago, they had the commercial ad where the black male was put in a washing machine and came out as an Asian. Uh, so the attacks are definitely global. Uh, and there was 
a quick statement I wanted to read from the Polk County Sheriff. Um, let's see. His name is Grady Judd, the sheriff. And he basically said, I guess he was talking about uh, the riders or whatever. And he made a statement saying, I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns. They have guns, and I encourage them to own guns, and they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded. And if you try to break into their homes, I'm giving them permission to blow you, to blow you back out of their homes, okay? And it says, so leave the community alone, and we'll do our best to support the community. Uh, so he came out and said that this week, uh, and that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Wow. <laughs> that is <laughs> the rifleman creed is right there that's the 2000 the 21st century version of the rifleman's creed wow they had a report of increased gun sales so you know i have no reason to doubt what the sheriff says <laughs> i think he's grady is probably telling us the truth there uh right on down to i gave them permission they, you might not even have to break in. It might just be. It might be with the fella in Nebraska. They didn't break in. He just saw him. He went outside, start shooting. Hey, we don't mess around in Polk County. They were singing about them in the courthouse yesterday. They broke out in jingle. Polk County, yeah, <laughs> right, man. They are not clowning. There's been a lot of clowning this week. They are not clowning in Polk County. That is. Racist man, it sounds like. Racist woman, racist child, the great equalizer in Polk County. Many other places. They said, you know, record number of firearms. So it's not just Polk County, or Florida, excuse me, where they are uh, racking up the ammunition and such. Wow. That is a note to end on for this week. Oh, wait a minute. Did we miss anybody? We got, we didn't miss anybody who missed us totally. Uh, Gus, I just want to report that that, that stealing the cowboy, uh, stealing the horse uh, was a false report. The guy who was uh, videotaped, he actually owned that horse. And he was falsely accused of stealing a police horse and basically got his car spray, uh, paint, uh, spray painted saying, return the horse. <laughs> yeah. So that was a false report. I can't do it. There we go. That's the way to end the week with the clown. I can't do it. Oh, the fake news is rampant. The fake news is rampant, but white supremacy, racism, black person gets mistreated with those false accusations. You horse stealing nigger. (laughs) I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. What a week. What a year. Was there a female caller who wanted to get on the last comment before we conclude? Hello. Irie, yes, ma'am. Okay, yes. Um, I want to let everybody know, thank you. I have been properly admonished. Um, I don't have the word guy. I admit that I don't have the word guy. I will get it. Um, but I have learned not to say that. And the only other thing I was thinking uh, to add that I forgot to add earlier, I asked my mom, to ask her white friend, and I'm advocating for other people to do this as well. I've asked other white people this, 
and gotten a variety of reactions that are basically the same thing. Um, I would tell a victim of racism to ask their white friend, what material comfort or gain are you willing to give up for the rest of your life in order to end the system of racism, white supremacy, and, and wait for a response? And, um, uh, and there was a white supremacist part of the Proud Boys in Arizona that had plans to intimidate or actually assault some lawmakers who I, I think it was saying are also white and then take his death and then flee to, uh, flee to either Europe or some other part of the world. I can't remember his name. I glanced through the article. I found that highly interesting. They said that, um, Hitler did the same thing. He uh, faked his death and went to Argentina. I mean, um, well, good night. Good night, everybody. Yes, ma'am, Irie. Not an admonishment, just, you know, suggestions about word use. That's supposed to be, you know, something we pay attention to, especially on the compensatory call-in. But, yes, honorary white would definitely be mindful with that one. I suggest not using it, but always great to uh, ask questions around that one and words in general wow what a week Uh, i hope folks are able to get quality rest hope i'm able to get quality rest uh eat some quality food not too much or maybe we can do no white sugar eat some quality food fruits and veggies get some exercise get some time outside hopefully Uh, if you can be outside and not be accused of being a looter or protester uh, if you can find some solitude where you can just enjoy some sunshine maybe do a little yoga stretching hiking something Um, just try as best you can to do things that are all about self-care if that is taking a nap do it Sunday is coming up tomorrow so you might you know not have to work or what have you self-care sleeping correctly mr fuller talks about that sleeping correctly and making sure you get adequate rest get some quality food get some time outside do things for self-care it has been a really abusive year Woo! horse thief my goodness (laughs) in chicago negro horse thief uh sobriety would be best uh under conditions of white supremacy Man, oh man, we need our brain computer working at the highest level of efficiency. Uh, We have got so many problems to solve the problem. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, In addition to being sober, let's be buckled if we're going to be out and about. I can, man, everything that you heard this week from the audio reports, from other folks, you know, participating and calling in and just things that are happening. Blackmail just went outside his house to walk his dog is called a nigger and beaten with a bat and his black girlfriend that's 2020 I would recommend staying in the house Um, you know the Rona restrictions I guess are lifted in a lot of places or at least milder than they were Uh, I would still recommend stay in the house Uh, get what you need definitely you do not want to be out and about about when it's dark Uh, they still have a lot of protests going on and things have tended to escalate dramatically uh, once it's gotten dark so I would be in the house Uh, be very strategic Uh, I would be alert paying attention to what's happened around you if anything looks suspicious a little bit off 
Change of plans, go back home. Safety is prioritized over everything with what is happening worldwide right now. Uh, that said, you got your plan together. You think it's safe. You're strategic about things. Uh, you are sober. You are buckled up. If you're driving, you are not on the cell phone. Uh, again, just <clears throat> trying to minimize as best we can being in any contact with enforcement officials. Badge or no, they are armed excited especially in Polk County man that's it creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people say that twice for right now man we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person help us get quality rest Uh, all this talk about health and the coronavirus and health disparities quality rest your immune system does not work at peak efficiency if we are fatigued not able to get quality rest so much of the system of white supremacy is about making sure we don't get quality rest quality anything really but get quality rest as was suggested try to get those electronic devices out don't have that laptop in your bed and all the rest of it try to kick that Uh, cell phone out if you can value getting quality rest you will feel better you will think better I just mentioned that high level thinking that we will need to solve this problem adequate rest is a huge component of getting that high level thinking we need Cal signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.